Pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 422. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat, but it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers. Uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. I'm still pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture leftovers. You're listening to the only podcast with the balls to bite a radioactive spider. It's pop culture leftovers. Five, five, four, three, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. We're the, We're the leftovers. leftovers. And yeah, Jake, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either, man. I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know, Jake. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to see how this one goes. We're going to see how this goes. You know, here's the thing. All right. Next week is Doctor Strange. And then I've made a uh, I've made a decision that the week after I'm going to take it off. I, I, Jake, I need some time. I need a little Calgon take me away bath time where I just diddle my dick in the tub or something. You know what I mean? Uh, give me a Saturday sounds, night. Yeah, give me a Saturday night where I can shave my nutsack. Oh, my God. I don't have any time to do anything. I got this fucking hairy nutsack I got to take care of. That's not true. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I got to take the week off after Doctor Strange, and I'm just going to use that to, to you know recharge the battery. Um, that way I can come back and be uh, less grumpy. I'm not saying I'm going to come back and be like, yeah, rare to go and shit, whatever the fuck that's all about. But I will be a little less grumpy, Jake, coming back. Yeah, I think our hardcore listeners don't want you 0% grumpy. I think that would upset some people. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyway, so, yeah, we're not alone, Jake. We've got a guest this week. We've got uh, from Apple to Oranges, Mr. Paul Hart. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be back on, man. Yeah, yeah, happy to have you here. Yeah, Jake, I, I don't have anything cute lined up at the beginning of the show. Nothing. Not yeah. not a single yeah. goddamn thing. I'm sick of it. <laughs> it's always me bringing up these little fucking bullshit stories and blah, 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 blah. I'm just, no, I'm done with it this week. I'm not doing it. I'm very, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I am a grumpy little cunt this week, man. What's up? <laughs> I was going to say, maybe Paul's got a cute story. Yeah, you got, you got a cute little story prepared for us, Paul? 
No pressure. Uh, <laughs> huh? What do you bring into the table this week, huh? You bring in nothing? You just you come here and yeah. you just expect me to fucking do it all? Huh? No, no, no. I, I, I did have a pretty fascinating day yesterday. Um my 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 students were really driving me up the wall yesterday. It was Friday, we could all feel it. And you know, there's a couple of kids that were just doing everything they could to like kind of just wear me down and I'm you know, they're kind of getting there and I'm just like, all right, sit down. Like I got like the loud voice. And as I do that, I'm at a charter school. Our like CFO comes in with like two huge donors. And I just have like the biggest look of horror because they definitely heard me get really loud with the kids. Oh, wow. And the two kids sit down and he goes, hey, we just want to tell you congratulations on being our teacher of the year for 2022. I'm like, I feel like shit right now. You <laughs> just heard me wow. get kind of loud with the kids, and now I'm getting this award. That means nothing, but thank you. <laughs> That's an embarrassing little moment for you. Like, yeah, no, but it's the kids' fault, man. They fucked that up to you. They fucked that up for you, is what I mean to say. Like they, oh, like totally. it could have been, it could have been a nice day, but the kids fucked it up, and they had to get, and Mr. Hart had to get loud. And then, of oh, course, they have told. to do it at the worst fucking moment. And then you got this guy coming in. You look like a fucking asshole for yelling at a bunch of kids. And then, like, I tried to play it off where I was like, wow, it's not the tumor, you know, like trying to make. Who's it got their it. window open with the goddamn Tweety Bird, huh? Oh, that's me. Jesus Christ, Jake. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Mr. Zippity Doodah. What the fuck is going on it's, over there? It's not my fault. They're like wrestling right out of my deck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, get in the house. Shut the windows or something. Listen, I've done the last 70 plus episodes in this exact same position with this door <laughs> open. And that's the first time the Doves decided to have a wrestling match right here on the deck. Yeah, I got, so but I, Doves cry. You know, I got nature, nature fucking forcing its way on this podcast this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> what do you get for that award, Paul? Do you get like a parking space or a trophy or uh we get to go to this uh banquet that's at the end of May and I get like a little plaque with an apple on it and uh we I get to invite like uh eight people to sit at the table and I get to walk with the principal and accept this little award that's being presented by like our local meteorologist. I don't know. Oh man, that's terrible. You get to do something that you probably don't want to do. Oh yeah, man, like yeah, this is my third time. I am not a fan. Like I, I tried to decline it. He's like, nope. I'm like, oh man, this is dumb. Like <laughs> I'd rather just fucking be at home, like <laughs> watching Better Call Saul or something. Paul's like, you know what? I've done my best so far to avoid getting COVID. But <laughs> <laughs> Again, a war for hitting play on YouTube and having them dance. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. All right, let's see here. Let's, uh, oh, shit, I don't even have bumpers pulled up, nothing. I don't know. Jake, I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, I've already announced that we're taking uh, off in a couple weeks. I feel like, I feel like I'm, like, ready for that now. I feel like I want that now. (laughs) I can smell it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, we got a whole episode ahead of us too, man. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. All right, let's uh, let's jump on into good pop, bad pop this week. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop, 
Bad Pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. Jake, I guess, uh, you know, we can start off. Paul's not watching it, but me and you. uh, Did you watch the fifth episode of Moon Knight? I did. All right. What'd you think? I thought it was decent enough. Like, it was kind of billed as the explain everything episode. And I thought that was kind of oversold what was going on a little bit. Um, I, I did get a bit emotional finding out kind of, you know, the creation of the split personalities and what caused that. And I thought that was very well handled. But, man, it just feels like we've only got one more episode left. There's so much to kind of wrap up. It just feels like it's going to be it's going to be rushed. I can't help but feel that way. And the rumor is that the next episode is the shortest of them all. I saw that. I saw that. So I don't know. That that's kind of depressing for me. I was really looking forward to this series, and by no means do I dislike it. But I, I think I may have set my expectations too high. Yeah, I think I set mine a little too high as well. And you know, for all the talk of the violence. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's been really weak. And I was expecting more kind of like Daredevil level possible violence in this series. And we've got none of that. And um, I really feel like what they've done here is they've sacrificed one for the other. They sacrificed us Moon Knight to give us this representation, this you know, as accurate of a representation as they can give us of someone suffering, you know, from DID, you know, between Stephen and Mark. And it's at the expense of seeing more Moon Knight action. And Jake, I don't think that that's the way to do the show. I don't think you have to sacrifice one to give us the other. If anything, just give us more. That way we get a balance. And, you know, I've had discussions on Twitter this week with people saying, well, this is how Marvel shows have been. They've been giving us, you know, a lot more of like the um, the mental aspect, the mental persona of these characters as opposed to their superhero side. You know, and I was told that, yeah, this was done in Loki. This was done in Hawkeye. This was done in, you know, the WandaVision series with, with Black Widow, uh, with uh, Scarlet Witch, excuse me. But here's the thing is I feel like we got plenty of those characters and their superhero persona in the movies before that. I've not gotten any Moon Knight from anything in the MCU before this. And I mean, yes, the portrayal of DID, like, I mean, I'm not too familiar with it, but from everything that I'm hearing is like, they've done a really good job of like exploring that. But I feel like it's also come at the expense of, you know, comic book fans, you know, wanting to see more Moon Knight. But then on the flip side, I think I'm in the minority because everybody's loving the show. So I don't know, Jake. I just I, I would have to say that I, I love the way that Daredevil handled it, the series on Netflix, because I feel like they did both. I think they, they tackled, you know, a lot of like, you know, what, you know, 
Matt Murdock had been going through in his life and and his challenges and everything, but they also gave us plenty of the Daredevil origin story and did it in a fantastic way. And then they delivered on the violence that they were promising us in that series. And I mean, it all just kind of like came together. And so, I mean, I know they're two completely different characters, but I just think the Daredevil series is better and I'm not absolutely loving the Moon Knight show. If I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's just me, I guess. Oh, and I also want to point out that in this episode, this last episode, that Mark's dad looks like the love child of Fred Armisen and J.J. Abrams. Yeah, I thought it was Fred Armisen at first. It looks like Fred Armisen and J.J. Abrams had a kid. Yeah. It even kind of sounds like Fred Armisen, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I don't get why we always, in the movies and the TV shows have to deliver the origin or start with that with every single character there's a million examples in the comic books where we see the superhero first and maybe for a very long time years decades and i'm not showing i'm not saying the shows or or movies should go that long but i think it would be interesting to try that approach once it almost feels like they're afraid to and i think moon knight would have been a perfect character for that like show us moon knight show us the issues that the character has but make us wait for the origin you know make us fall in love with the superhero and then show us kind of the man behind the mask i think the only one that's done it jake has been this last spider-man trilogy yeah, and that almost doesn't count, right? That's like kind of an asterisk. I know. I get it because we've already oh. had two previous Spider-Man movies. But I'm saying as far as anything MCU related, they were almost had like their hands forced to do it this way because of how many times we've seen the origin story. Yeah, that, that's really unfortunate because I, I, I kind of think it makes it more interesting to do it with a character that not everyone is super familiar with. I, just the idea of that mystique, like that's why people loved Wolverine so much. Like that's why he was such a giant hit for for so many years. Oh, God, yeah. Popular characters like there's something to be said about like not showing all your cards right away. And yeah, I get it. You have to wait till episode four or five to, to learn everything. But I mean, even more so than that, like I'd love to see a whole season of a superhero and not worry about his origin. that be a mystery. I feel like it was like close to, I think it was like, I feel like it was over 30 years before we got anything really on Wolverine Logan. Yeah. And nothing you were going to write was going to like be the greatest thing ever. Right. Like, I mean, origin, the Wolverine book, it was a good book. It It was was. a gorgeous book, but it still wasn't like, it wasn't worth it. They just wanted to sell some comics at that point. You know, I mean, they started us off with the Weapon X and then they went into Wolverine Origin. And I feel like there was, for me as a kid, I remember being a kid and just being like, I want to know more about him. I want to know about his past. And then, like, as I got older, I started to realize, like, some of the coolest stuff about Wolverine was the not knowing. You know, yeah, and I, I just think that would be so fun to experiment with that in the uh, movie and television medium. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm glad everybody's loving Moon Knight. I'm liking it. I'm not loving it, though. So that's kind of like where I'm at. We will do a bonus episode for the finale next week. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a lot to say about episode five. Um, I thought the effects were a little bit subpar in episode five. I, I haven't noticed any kind of shoddy effects the entire series until this episode. And I, I thought it almost had like a mummy look to it. Oh God! Went on the boat. With the yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that stuff did not look great. Well, I, I, I thought I think it was like episode episode two 
when we did get to see Moon Knight, it it did look very CG, like a video game to me, um, when he was fighting sometimes. So, um, yeah, I thought it was really distracting because I thought the uh, the CG work on I forget the character's name, but the uh, the hippopotamus. Oh yeah, is re- is yeah, is really good, and to see that character up against a backdrop. Well, that was a terrible. lot of. I, I I know the head was practical, like they built that. It was okay, an, it, it shows. Yeah, so yeah, we'll 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 have a full Moon Knight discussion next week, and I you know, I hope I hope that they're able to wrap it up in a way. It just seems like we, there's so much story left. Like, how are you going to yeah, wrap it all even up? Even more so than any other show so far. Like, I thought WandaVision was kind of bad with this, where it's like, oh, my God, there's so much to do in 50 minutes. But this feels even crazier than that. It really me. does. Yeah, yeah, it really does. <laughs> Unless there's some sort of, like, an announcement for a season two at the end, you know, kind of like what they've been doing with, uh, you know, The Mandalorian and stuff like that, where, like, we find out at the end of The Mandalorian season two, we're getting a book of Boba Fett. Maybe they'll spring a moon night season two maybe they've struck a deal or something but i yeah, I, yeah loki played that trick too yeah yeah that's true so we'll see we'll see what happens um i went to the theater this week uh i watched a couple things that i didn't have on the list for you guys but i did i was just wanting to see a movie in 3d so i went and saw the bad guys which is that new animated is it dreamworks that's doing this one yes yeah, after a lifetime of legendary heists, notorious criminals Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Shark, and Ms. Tarantula are finally caught to avoid a prison sentence. The animal outlaws must pull off their most challenging con yet, become um, becoming model citizens until, under the tutelage of their mentor, uh, Professor Marmalade, the dubious gang sets out to fool the world that they're turning good. It's directed by Pierre Parafel. Uh, feature directorial debut for this guy uh, and uh, screenplay by Eaton Cohen. Um, it's based on a children's book of the same name by Aaron Blaby. And the, it stars the voices of uh, Sam Rockwell as Mr. Wolf, uh, Mark Marin as Mr. Snake, Aquafina as Miss Tarantula, Craig Robinson as Mr. Shark, uh, Anthony Ramos as Mr. Piranha, um, Zazie Beetz is in this as uh, Diane Foxington. Um, I'm going to give this one a taste. It, it was uh, I watched it in 3D and it looked fantastic. The animation looked really good. I'm going to give it a, a taste. It it had decent kind of like twists and a little bit of like an Ocean's Eleven heist vibe with it. Um, but it, it was definitely made for kids. Uh, it's as opposed to like the Pixar stuff where like they'll throw in a few like jokes that only the adults will get. Um, the bad guys is clearly made just for kids. Um, it's not a bad thing. No, I would say that there is. Maybe I'm wrong about that. There's a couple times when um, uh, Diana Foxington is talking to Mr. Wolf, and she's talking. He's saying something like, "She's saying something like, oh, you're gonna go full Clooney and talking, saying Clooney, Clooney." And it's like a definitely an Ocean's Eleven type of reference, but. Um, it's a taste that I had enough fun with it. And there was a couple twists in there that were, that were fun. Um, I thought, uh, Craig Robinson as Mr. Shark was, was funny, but it wasn't like this laugh out loud movie, but I did think it was fine. So I'll give it a solid taste that, um, the next 3D was real nice too. 3d looked really good. There, there's some, um, some of the car chase scenes in 3d looked really, really good. 
Um, and then I went and saw, it was a G-Kids uh, Fathom event uh, for an anime film, Pompo the Cinephile. Um, Pompo is a talented and gutsy producer in Nyollywood, which is basically, it's like a, a take on Hollywood, the movie-making capital of the world. Although she's known for B-movies, one day Pompo tells her movie-loving but apprehensive assistant, Gene, that he will direct the next script, a delicate drama about an aging and tormented creative genius starring the legendary and Brando-esque actor Martin Braddock and a young actress seeking her first break. But when the production heads towards chaos, can Gene rise to Pompo's challenge and succeed as a first-time director? Animation in this looked really, really good, um, especially there's a couple scenes where they're just like driving in cars, and it looks almost 3D without watching 3D. It looked really good. Uh, this is directed by Takeyuki Hiro. And it's called Pompa the Cinephile, but it's really more about the character of Gene. Um, and he's, 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 he really loves movies. And to see him, it's, it's cool. If you love movies, you'll like this movie. I'm still just giving it a taste it. I wasn't blown away by this movie. Um, there, it's a little long for me. And there's a lot of stuff like in the movie as he's making it, he's also editing it too. And he's talking about things that they need to cut out. There's a chunk in the middle I think they could have cut out of this. I was getting pretty bored at certain parts of the movie. And, of course, like, in all these animes, there's, like, the scenes where, like, the heroes talking to themselves. You know, like, when you're watching, like, an anime and they're fighting their enemy and they have, like, this inner dialogue or outer oh, of course, monologue of, of, like, now I must fight stronger. You will not knock me down. <laughs> like, this character is, like, holding a sword at one part where, like, he's editing the movie and he's actually slicing through film and yelling stuff like that jake and i was like this is eye rolling <laughs> so <laughs> i'll give pompo the cinephile a taste it and you know i i i mean i i would if you're a fan of anime and, and these types of movies then give this one a, a watch but um it was nothing mind-blowing to me so yeah, that's. Pump. I'm kind of scared to see this now. I, I was really excited and I was trying to cram it in. And when I was looking at the times, I saw that it was only 90 minutes. And for you to say it felt long and needed chunks cut out of the middle, I'm like, ooh, a 90 minute movie feeling long. I, I, I'm not doubting you. I was getting. Always- you might love it though. I mean, I was getting bored at cartoon characters talking about the filmmaking process. It just wasn't exciting to me to watch these cartoon characters put together this movie. And I know certain characters in the movie reflect characters that you see that are actually making the movie and all this stuff. I get all that. I just was not, this just, this was not for me. So as much as I love movies and and the process, this was just not for me. Um, Who got a chance to watch legacy in the shadow of greatness. This is a new series on discovery plus. I watched the first episode. Okay. I did not get a chance. Um, it's the athletic pursuits of children of sports icons. So um, I've seen the first two episodes. And so you're in this. It's on Discovery Plus, which I mean, that it's looking at it. It's it's a pretty good service. It's five bucks a month and um, tons of like true crime and and documentaries. And there's some sports documentaries. And if you were a fan of BattleBots, that's where the new seasons of BattleBots go is on Discovery Plus. Um, and this is dealing with 
children that are that their parents were sports icons and they're trying to break into sports too. So like, like what's harder? Like coming from, you got to think like, what's harder here? Like coming from nothing or like fight, you know, and fighting your way to the top or just, or being a child of like one of these, you know, super athletes and having every single advantage come your way from having a parent, in that sport, I mean, is it harder to fight your way out of your father's legacy or is it harder just to fight your way to the top? And this kind of is giving you an inside look at the lives of these children. You've got Zaire Wade, who's the son of Dwayne Wade, um, played, you know, played many years for the Heat. Uh, Evander Holyfield's son, Evan Holyfield, and then NFL legend Randall Cunningham's daughter, Vashti Cunningham. Who, she's not in football, but she's in athletics, and she's a high jumper. Um, Paul, what did you think about Legacy in the Shadow of Greatness? Oh, man, this was I, – I literally just got done with the first episode before we recorded. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool premise of taking, you know, like three kids of three different sports and – like it like I'm gonna give it a Tupperware off the bat because I think the premise is super cool. And I mean from Milwaukee, I mean Dwayne Wade helped kind of put us on the map in the early two thousands when he played for Marquette. So it's always cool to see more of him. But man, I'm gonna tell you, I I don't know about you, Brian, I gravitated way more towards Randall Cunningham's daughter's story. Because the thing with like uh Dwayne Wade and um Evander Holyfield's kids is they're directly, you know, like they're in the same sport and they're really dealing with like living in their father's shadow, like to the point where when I like, I think they're even calling him young Holy when, when he's boxing, you know, like he doesn't even have his own like little nickname, but like they're more interested in interviewing Evander Holyfield than they are the son where the trainer is like, okay, but you know, like we're going to talk about this dude. Like, let's stop talking about dad and, you know, like uh, uh, Dwayne Wade's son, you know, is like the most heartbreaking thing about Dwayne Wade's son is just how he's so obsessed with going on Instagram. Oh, God. Yeah. And reading about like all the negative stuff. He's well, didn't that about, make like, you think of swagger? A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. It was so into swagger, but I was. Man, like the thing with Randall Cunningham's daughter, like I love that dynamic of just like like a father and a daughter. Like that's not even a sport he really knows, but he's so it like he's got such a competitive competitive spirit where he's like I'm going to make you the best athlete in my own mind. And I don't know about you, man, like I don't know if they cover it more in the second episode or if it's going to be covered more in the rest of this series, but it seems like they kind of already have a fractured relationship a little bit where like she's been out of her house for two years yeah. and it's the first time he's ever been over there. Yeah. You know, like, I, I mean, and, and just like the amount of pressure that that's put on these kids and well, she's having like, like a, a FaceTime with like the other girl that's getting trained by him. And, you know, she's talking about how, like, you know, she came in and, like, qualified for the Olympics. And then her and her friend are joking, like, oh, it's still not good enough. Still not good enough. You know, and it's yeah. it's just one of those things where, yeah, he puts a lot of pressure on her to succeed. Yeah, he put, I feel like he puts way more pressure on on her than the other two dads did 
their own sons just based on what we saw or based on what I saw in that first episode. Because, like, the thing with Dwayne Wade is, like, it seemed to be, like, we really learned a lot about Dwayne Wade in this episode. It's like, oh, yeah, his son just happens to play basketball, and we're going to uproot him and put him to this different high school in L.A. Like, like it totally reminded me of, like, the Swagger League, too, yeah. of how these kids are playing, like, in these just insane, like, semi-professional leagues at age, like, 17. Um but man, this was so like this was so engaging. This was like it was just like a slice of life, where it's like yeah, we know their names, but man, and Evander Holyfield said it best, where he's like he's like I got to, like he's like I became famous when I was good. He's like you know like I was already like I already established myself as a good athlete. He's like my son has always had to live up to my name before he even got into this sport, and he'll always have to battle that. Like, I just love kind of those, like, uh, like perspectives they take. But, yeah, like, the Randall Cunningham daughter one is the one that's going to keep me into this series because that's the most compelling to me just because it's so two different sports, and you can tell that they have a lot of growth to do with each other. I'm also – I'm actually really into the Evan Holyfield um, I don't know if you got to – it was at the second episode where they showed him in his first professional fight. No, that was the end of the first episode. Okay, yeah. I mean, and he pretty handedly takes care of that guy in the ring. He dusted that dude in like 16 seconds. Yeah, so I'm I'm really interested in that kid. I thought he was pretty impressive, and it felt like maybe at first he got into the sport just to get closer with his dad, but you can tell that he loves boxing. He loves it, and it's like in their—it's in their family blood, man. Like, you know, I think the kid's got talent. So, yeah, I think that the the Vashti Cunningham, she's got a lot of like drama and stuff like that, and with her dad and him always pushing her, and uh, and she's super talented too. Um, and he's very like unorthodox in the way he trains him too. A lot of weight training and stuff. And oh my God, like, well, and like, I mean, I, I think she does a lot of other things, but like her main thing is with the high jump, right? Like you jump over yeah. the bar. Yeah. He sets that thing to like limits where they've never like cleared it. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning of practice, she's like, we've never cleared this. And like, it was kind of cool to get into the thought process. Like we're always going to have our head up. So when we do go lower, we're going to be aiming for that unattainable, you know, like record. Like it was just, it was so fascinating. And, and, and to go into all like just the pressure, like just to be a regular kid in sports, like you go to like a soccer game and it's insane. Just like these regular kids whose parents aren't famous. And then you're multiplying that by a gazillion with social media. And the fact that you just happen to have the same last name as your super talented parents it's just it's this is such a this is such a compelling series yeah yeah it's very good it's very good i i will give it so far i'll give it a high taste it um but i do recommend the show you can get a seven day free trial of discovery plus if this is something that you're interested in watching it's called legacy in the shadow of greatness and um yeah uh next thing i want to talk about is uh the unbearable weight of massive talent this dropped in theaters last week I didn't get a chance to to watch it last week, but I got to watch it the, this week. Um, Unfulfilled. This is the Nick Cage movie. Unfulfilled and facing financial ruin, actor Nick Cage accepts a $1 million offer to attend a wealthy fan's birthday party. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when a CIA operative recruits Cage for an unusual mission 
taking on the role of a lifetime, he soon finds himself channeling his most iconic and beloved characters to save himself and his loved ones. It's directed by Tim Gormican, who co-wrote the screenplay with Kevin Atten. Uh, it stars Nicolas Cage as a fictionalized version of himself, along with a supporting cast that includes Pedro Pascal, Sharon Horgan, Ike Barinholtz, uh, Alessandra Mastronardi, Jacob Scipio, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, and Tiffany Haddish. Jake, what did you think about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Uh, I thought this was a very funny movie. Uh, I'm going to give it a high taste it. Um, I thought Cage was great, and I, I thought... Like the comedic timing and the dialogue and the performance was just it was unbelievable. It was it was so hilarious. There there was a scene with him and his alter ego that I don't think I've ever laughed louder at anything in, in a movie theater. It it was unbelievable. But um, my only problem with this movie is like a lot of these action comedies, I, I think Lost City that came out last month is kind of this the same problem. It, it stops being funny a little bit for me in the third act. The third act is kind of like the wrap up all the plot act and all the hilarious humor is just, is just kind of gone. It's not un, enjoyable, but you kind of have to wrap everything up that you set up in the first two acts. So these action comedies just kind of suffer that way a little bit for me. Um, I also thought Pedro was great. He was like, it was the most adorable Pedro Pascal pascal role i've seen in a long time um yeah i thought this movie was a lot of fun a lot of great meta humor and um it was basically what i was expecting i mean i I was hoping that it would exceed my expectations and be even funnier than i thought it was going to be but it didn't quite do that just a little bit of a falling short on that third act oh man i uh i had a theater experience where uh it's like me and like there's a couple in the front Another guy kind of like in front of me. And then on the other side of the theater, there was like these three ladies. And they, they like, they talked throughout the, all the trailers and shit. And then I was like, okay, all right, movie's starting. Time for these ladies to shut the fuck up. And then they immediately start talking. And oh. I immediately yelled out, be quiet. <laughs> followed by them talking some more. Followed by me saying, shut up. And so, yeah, um, first time you get a be quiet, second time you get a shut up. Um, and, and that uh, worked finally? These fucking people shut up? Uh, I mean, I heard a little bit here and there. I actually, after the movie ended, um, the guy that was sitting, uh, you know, a couple seats in front of me found me at the end of it. And he's like, dude, I just want to thank you for telling those people to shut up. <laughs> That's awesome. It's not your fucking living room, asshole. If you want to wait for it to fucking stream and then you can fucking talk with your dumb daughter about whatever the fuck you want to talk to her about. There there was a fucking trailer for uh, an exorcism movie and she's talking about baptisms and shit and church and stuff. Shut the fuck up. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, so... Uh, that all being said, uh, I loved this movie. I thought it was, I want to see more of Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal in movies together. I'm not talking about a sequel to this. I'm just talking about these guys doing action comedies together. Kind of like the new, like, you know, fucking, um, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, you know, like I, I just think that they have great chemistry together. I loved them just kind of palling around and having fun in this movie. Um, I loved it. I had a blast with this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. A very fun action comedy for me. 
So, you know, third act, I thought, you know, yeah, you got to get to that action. But I still, I, at that point in time, I was so invested in everything that, you know, they're throwing in the golden guns and all that stuff. I'm loving it. It's like little Easter eggs from, you know, his other movies and stuff. I, I, I had a blast with this one. Paul, what'd you think? Oh, man. What'd yeah, you rate I, it, Brian? I gave it a Tupperware. Okay. Like, at first, at first, I was so conflicted in my head because you definitely, Brian, you know this. You know I have an affinity for, like, terrible movies. And I love this movie so much where I was like, man, did I love this? Because was it a bad movie or was it just such a good movie because it was so silly? But this is an absolute Tupperware. I thought, I'm going to echo what Jake said. This is, like, Pedro Pascal was so adorable. This is my favorite thing I've seen him in. Like I loved his fanboy character. I loved, I loved the relationship with Nick Cage and his daughter. I loved the wild at heart Nicky Cage uh, character. I just, I had the biggest blast with this. I was smiling the entire time, and like, yeah, like the third act definitely did live up to those tropes, but just the meta ness where they are like explaining like what happens in these types of movies in each act. I just I thought this was so much fun and it was good to see Nick Cage kind of just really chew the scenery as, you know, like a fic, like a, a satirish uh version of himself. I thought, yeah, I definitely want to go back and see this again. I thought this was absolutely a riot. Yeah, I loved it. I was laughing quite a bit throughout this movie. So man, oh, man. I it's one of the most hilarious drug use sequences I've seen in a movie in a long time. Yeah. yeah. So I took a friend to go see this and she's more into like exercise and she's like, I don't watch a lot of movies and I'm like, Oh, do you like Nick cage? And she's like, Oh, is that the dude in the bill of rights movie? I'm like, no, that's the declaration of independence. And at like, when we're driving home, she's like, she has so many questions. She's like, so do you think he knew this movie? Like was kind of making fun of him. It was just a fun conversation to have where, she didn't understand a lot of like the meta-ness of the movie or that movies could really kind of peel back that curtain to kind of have actors poke fun of themselves. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that angle. Neil Patrick Harris really didn't do much. No, no. no. I was surprised at what happened to the uh, FBI agent people, too. They really got shortchanged. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Let's talk about, uh, I love that for you. It's a new series on Showtime. They've just dropped one episode. It's, uh, inspired by true events. This hilarious new comedy follows childhood leukemia survivor, Joanna gold, as she chases her lifelong dream of becoming a home shopping channel host, uh, shedding her cancer girl label. She moves away from her parents, starts a budding romance for the first time in her adult life and befriends her idol, the charismatic star of the network. But when a little white lie to her boss turns into a big snowy avalanche, Joanna finds living the dream comes with a hefty price tag. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, Vanessa Bear from SNL. Uh, she's the main character in this. Molly Shannon plays the um, Jackie Stilton, the uh, idol that she, uh, for, of this SVN, kind of like a QVC type home shopping network show. Um, Jake, did you watch this? I did. And what'd you think? 
I'm going to give this a solid taste it. Um, it very much has like pilot itis, right? Like the whole first episode is just a lot of setup. Um, it was decent, but I, I, I'm very curious to see now that we kind of know what the premise is. Like, I want to see the big laughs. Um, I did laugh a little bit at this first episode. It wasn't completely devoid of humor, but there wasn't very many laughs. I, I thought the funniest scene was like when she was introducing herself and was, you know, explaining what she was selling and her sitting on that box and that whole sequence. I, I was laughing quite hard at that, but overall it was just a lot of setup. It was interesting setup and it makes me want to watch the second episode, but not the most hilarious pilot. Yeah. I don't I kind of have a problem with the way the, like she really grew up. Sorry, my cat is scratching on a box right now, and I am fucking <laughs> conflicted in my head as to whether I pause the episode and have him stop or if I fucking keep going. Oh, my God, dude. Seriously, hold on, pause. All right, so, okay, I'm back. Yeah, he's in my lap, and we'll see how this works. Anyway, um, I, I mean, she had, she had leukemia as a kid, and I mean... I feel like as a kid, she didn't, she, she got a lot of attention from her parents. And once she survived uh, cancer, I feel like a lot of people in her real life just kind of like overlooked her. And I don't know if I appreciate our main character lying about her cancer coming back at the end of this. Like, I don't know how funny that is to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of a... Mm -hmm. a comedy drama i think you are supposed to be like oh i can't believe she's doing this like it does feel like you're supposed to groan at this decision yeah it's just like i don't know it's like do i you know are they gonna they're, of course they're gonna try to endear me to her and you know the other people will get to know her and eventually they'll find out that she doesn't have cancer or something like that and it's like i can kind of see where everything's gonna go but you know this is definitely i you can say it's it's a, it, I guess it's a dramedy because it's Vanessa Bear and they're throwing. I don't know. I just got a bad taste in my mouth after the end of this episode where it's like, okay, I went from like kind of liking this girl to like not liking this. I don't, I don't consider it a little white lie like they do here. I think that like that's huge to tell, you know, the whole world that you're that you have cancer, and I mean she should know what it's what it's like to be a cancer survivor and what a big deal that is. And I don't know, man, I it left a bad taste it, in my mouth. It is very awkward. I thought the episode description was weird too. I had read that too, where they called it a white lie. And I was like, Ooh, that's, <laughs> and I mean, her parents are going to be watching this and they're going to be like, Oh my God, your cancer's back. You didn't tell us we had to find out on TV. And it's like, Oh my God. So yeah, I'm sure they're going to cover that. And yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the downfall of the show because you can kind of see the angles that are going to happen. Like she's obviously going to have to face repercussions for for making this lie. Yeah, I'll give it a taste. Of, I don't know if I'm going to watch this week to week, to be honest with you. I might this I might give it one more episode or this just might fall by the wayside for me. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about this until you sent the homework. I didn't watch a trailer or read the synopsis. I just turned it on. Today and man, I was I was at uh, I was at a Tupperware for almost the majority of it. I, you know, like I do love Molly Shannon, and I kind of love that she kind of really reined it in, where she wasn't kind of like over the top. Like she was, 
she was really cool. Like, especially that moment where you're, you know, they're kind of talking about like uh, the significance of the bracelet. Like I thought that was just a charming scene of the episode, but I was at a, I was at a complete Tupperware until the white lie came out where I'm like, Oh, you don't even need to do this. Like, well, it's, like, in, see, what's so weird about you had cancer. What's weird about this though, had- Paul is like, I guess it's inspired by true events. So like, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. But like, I still like, it was just, I don't know. Like, I just would have loved to kind of see her say like, you know, my story is that I'm, I'm coming back from it. You guys got me through it. Yes. I don't want to fuck it up. Like, let me have another shot. And, like, to kind her, like, I thought there was a lot of potential to see her really kind of use her charm to chip away at her, at her coworkers throughout the series. But, like, it's like that white lie. I mean, and like Jake said, it doesn't feel like it. Like, it feels like a blatant fucked up lie. Like, that's not... That's not just like a. Ooh, well, that's like what I'm, I'm saying too. I was like, like the synopsis calls it a little white lie. That's huge. She's lying to the world. I mean, by the time it happened, though, it, it wasn't like it wasn't foreshadowed. Like you did kind of the flashbacks did a pretty decent job of showing the character traits of someone that would decide to make this lie. Like because it wasn't just her parents that she was taking advantage of with their cancer. So. It was definitely an interesting choice, though. I know. I think she's just missing that attention. I, I, I don't even think it like it's an interesting choice. Like since this is inspired by true events, this uh, this happened. So they're just kind of like, you know, taking that angle and then injecting some comedy into it. But I don't know how funny I find it. <laughs> so just the premise of the show. I don't know how funny I find somebody faking that they have their that their cancer's back i don't know i guess it didn't sit well with me after i got done i was like (laughs) you know yeah no no yeah it's like i don't think you were supposed to be slapping knees at that part for sure so no it's but it's for me it wasn't like i was like for me it wasn't it wasn't like okay yeah that's that's where they're ramping up the comedy (laughs) ha hilarity ensues it was more of like, do I want to continue with this show now? Because it's such a fucking disgusting lie. <laughs> That's where I'm at, Jake. Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I'm going to watch one more episode and kind of see now that we've set up the premise, like what's going to happen from there. But yeah, I don't know. I really wasn't looking for a serial out of a half an hour format show. Like I kind of almost want a little bit more of a traditional sitcom format. Uh, let's see here. Let's move on into uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. This is on Showtime. And um, an alien crashes deep into the oil fields of New Mexico with a mission. He must find the brilliant scientist Justin Falls, the one woman on Earth who can help save his species. Even as he struggles to adapt to our world and become more human, her faith in humanity couldn't be lower. Uh, an unlikely duo. Together, they discover that in order to save his world, they must first save ours. An inspired continuation of the novel by Walter Tevis. Tevis, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And the iconic 1976 film starring David Bowie, created uh, by Lenny Lumet and Alex Kurtzman. Um, so the series stars Chuetel Ejiofor as an alien who arrives on planet Earth. And Bill Nye reprising the role he original, uh, originally played. Uh, originally played by Bowie in the 1976 film. I've never seen that film. I didn't even know that this was a continuation of that movie. 
I've seen it, but it's been a very long time. And it's like, it's one of those movies that you watch to kind of laugh at. It's like very plan nine ish. Yeah. What'd you think of this, Jake? I thought this was pretty decent. This was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Just knowing the original source material and knowing how campy and cheesy that is, I was like, "Oof! How are how is Kurtzman going to do like a serious like sci-fi drama with this premise?" And I, I actually thought he made a very interesting show here. I, I only watched the first episode. Is is there more than one episode? No, they just dropped one. Okay, yeah, I was thoroughly entertained i thought the performance of the of the lead was, was really good like he just definitely seemed so alien and so weird and i really did feel like i was like stand standing by and like watching him through a window just act like a complete weirdo like i, I really loved his performance and i i thought the drama of um naomi harris's character was really good too like i was really sucked into what was going on with her family what decision she was going to make and, uh, yeah, I, I think this was a great mix of just wild, high-concept sci-fi and, and real human emotion. I, I thought this was way better than I ever expected it to be. I'm going to give this a high-taste it. I'm with you. I'm, I'm at a high-taste it, too. Uh, you know, Chuetel Ejiofor, I mean, I've seen him act in some stuff before, and he's been great. Um, I, you know, he's of course, he's Baron Mordo in the in – the, uh, Marvel movies, the the Doctor Strange movies, but he's also been in you know Twelve Years a Slave. I think he's a fantastic actor, and in this, he's yeah, he's playing an alien and he crashes into these oil fields in New Mexico. He has eight hours to find this one woman, played by Naomi Harris, that can help save his species and then also save Earth in the process. And the beginning of the show starts off with him kind of like doing like this huge kind of like almost like uh, Steve Jobs Apple presentation where he's going to be unveiling like this new product that's going to revolutionize, you know, uh, technology. And uh, he, he actually said, take off the R and he's talking about it's the new step in evolution. And, and so it's like, what is this new invention that he's come up with? And then we just go back in time and we get to see like this character kind of like arrive on Earth try to communicate with people arrives totally naked and fucking the scene with the hose he's like really thirsty (laughs) and he swallows a fucking like outdoor garden hose and uh just water pumping into his body and the cops are pulling guns on him and um it's just it is a bizarre fucking show um but uh i think he's i think he's doing a really good job it's just it kind of reminded me of like uh a little bit of Starman too, you know, with um, I could see it. I could see it. You know, but I, you know, I like I, I like this enough. This is definitely a high taste. That I definitely will be giving the second episode a watch. And we haven't even gotten to, you know, I know Jimmy Simpson is in this series. You know, from It's Always Sunny, and of course he was in Westworld. Rob Delaney's in this as well. He I haven't seen any of him yet, so. Um, Paul, what did you? Uh, it's a high taste it for me. Paul, what did you think about uh, the man who fell to Earth? Yeah, I'm I'm at the same place where you and Jake are. Oh, I'm I'm at a high taste it. I I never saw uh, the like I never saw the movie with David Bowie. Um, sometimes I've been complaining that I feel like a lot of shows will start somewhere and then be like, oh, three years later, you know, or like three years earlier. 
But I really kind of love the way it utilized this, where he's coming out just like all like savvy and really well presented, you know, and he's like kind of like you could tell he's built up a reputation. And then all of a sudden we're to him where he can hardly like talk or like even interact with anybody. And I just thought his chemistry with Naomi Harris was fucking brilliant. Like it's pretty much just those two the entire episode. We get like the, you know, we get the sheriff and a couple other characters, but like it's mainly just them in this first episode. And I thought they really played well off of each other. And I thought he did a fantastic job just being so damn goofy and like lovable. He was kind of like a pet. Like it was really fucking cool. And it was kind of neat to see like the little, I don't know if you call them powers, but like kind of the differences he has as an alien where he could like, he has like kind of a super hearing. He can, hear things he's really good with technology like he was able to he was, was able to bend those handcuffs yeah and then yeah. also i mean he needed money and so he threw up he coins <laughs> no they were rings rings yeah like sonic 18 carat rings like uh, all of a sudden he just like starts vomiting 18 carat gold rings all over the ground and that then, was wild that was insane <laughs> So he's, my favorite. Oh, so sorry. it's almost it's yeah, and then he goes into the pawn shop and walks out with you know tens of thousands of dollars, and yeah, it's just bizarre. So yeah, I kind of want to see His more performance. Of what, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry, Jake. It kind of gave me a little bit of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio from Men in Black vibes. His performance. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like, I, I want to see more what he can do with animals, because I was getting pretty heated when they were like, oh, yeah, we shoot this horse with paintballs, you know, and, like, he yeah. was petting it. They walk away, he's like, I just, you know, like, that horse now remembers he can kick the shit out of that kid to death. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Well, and, you looked at the horse's ribs, too, and it looked emaciated, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just kind of excited to see more of, like, I guess his power set or whatever, like his unique abilities as an alien that he can use on earth. You know why I think a lot of these movies and TV shows show us the end result and then have us do a flashback to the past on how they got there. I think it's because we have such short attention spans for TV these days and movies that we just give up on stuff so quickly. So they have to show us where this is leading to because people will watch something if they don't give us that tease and be like, where is this going? Where is this going? And then they just give up. I really do feel like we just have shorter attention spans these days. That's why when a trailer drops, they've done studies on this. When a trailer drops, like when a new Marvel trailer drops or a trailer drops, not even not just Marvel, but like a lot of trailers, they'll show you all like the clips before the trailer even starts, like all these flashes of clips, because they know that people fucking turn that shit off. If, if a trailer starts and it doesn't engage you right away, if you don't see something in it that you like right away, you'll turn it off. And so that's why they show you all these flashes of action and all this other shit happening before the trailer even started. Yeah. I agree with you 100% on why they do it. It's what makes me hate that overused storytelling device. It's like you have to show the audience a little bit of a semblance of what the end game is going to be for them to get invested at all. And it's just like, ugh, it's just so overused. But I completely agree. That's why they do it. It's we, we as a species are just like, 
we're not going to keep tuning in if we don't have that hook that we know is going to eventually happen. Well, but. especially with everything that people are watching now that's so like condensed and to the point. Like half of the time people aren't watching long like long form stories. I mean, people are just sitting around watching TikTok and YouTube videos and shit. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in order to get people to sit down and watch an actual like hour long program, I mean, it's challenging for for certain people and so uh for for studios and and uh the people that are trying to sell like their their story here and so that's they have to do all these tricks like that and it's at the expense of people that really want, do want to watch this stuff for the story you know so i do agree with paul though i thought this was one of the rare times where it worked because it's such a radically different view of the character from point a to point b that it really did like open up a lot of intrigue for me like i usually hate this device like it drives me nuts and like casino and and plenty of other movies but i thought here it kind of worked Oh, I didn't mind it at all. I didn't mind it at all. I thought, and I think the show's, it's pretty good so far. I'm going to continue to watch it and, you know, at least the next episode and see where it goes. But, um, yeah, I never saw the original movie and I, I, I didn't even know that until today when I was doing notes and I don't think it was a detriment in watching this. I think that they did a pretty good job of explaining, you know, that the other character had been here for a while. So, yeah. Yeah, the the original one has Rip Torn in it, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Billy the Kid on Epics. This is uh, Epics' new series about the, an epic romantic adventure series based on the life of famous American outlaw Billy the Kid, also known as William H. Bonney, from his humble Irish roots to his early days as a cowboy and gunslinger in the American frontier to his pivotal role in the Lincoln County War and beyond. It's created by Michael Hurst. And you've got Tom Blythe as Billy the Kid. Um, it starts off, I mean, this starts off in 1871 with a 12-year-old Billy and his family, um, you know, from, from Ireland. They, they're leaving New York. They're traveling west to seek new opportunities. Um, and how, I've watched the first two episodes. They dropped three. How many episodes did you guys watch? I watched the pilot. Me too. Okay, I've watched the first two. The pilot's not enough. I'll be honest with you. You only get him as a kid in the pilot, as a 12-year-old. It's not enough to watch. I mean, to get a real feel for the show, you have to watch him as he's a teenager. So that second episode, if you didn't like the first episode, I mean, you didn't, get to, you didn't even get to the second episode where he's now a teenager. Um, so that might be at your detriment. So I want to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Paul, what did you think about the first episode? I was at a very low taste and it's pretty much what you said. Like I, I just didn't care about like, I felt like I was watching an adaptation of the Oregon trail, um, with just them traveling to Kansas and he's just a kid. And I thought the old man was kind of cool, but like, I'm like, dude, I don't want to see Billy the Kid as a kid. Like, I want to see him <laughs> as the outlaw. Like, you know, I so I like and I got like maybe I'm like three fourths through where I just kind of like I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel like we're going to get into him as an adult. So I stopped it with like 10 minutes left and put something else on to watch. But, you know, you say they get into him as an adult. But right now it's just like at a low taste of like, oof, I don't. This just did not. This did not hook me in. 
Like I just I don't need to see him as a little kid traveling across the country with little to nothing really happening. Um, I think it's yeah. necessary to see that, like, you know, his father dies and like what his mother is doing as a single mother and the hardships that she's facing now that she doesn't have a husband. There's a, you know, they go uh, to different places in the West and she has to ex- actually keep her ring on so that she can keep men away from her because men are constantly, you know, either trying to, you know, push themselves on her and, and, you know, she's trying to provide for her two boys. I think the first episode's very necessary before to understand the fi- the family dynamic and like, kind of like what he was raised around in order to get, you know, once you get into the second episode, then you kind of see, you do get to see the beginnings of Billy becoming the gunslinger. You get the scene of like him in front of the mirror with the gun and like doing the quick draw, you get to see some of that stuff. You're seeing a proper Billy the Kid origin story, in my opinion, in that second episode. But I think you have to get through that first episode to understand, you know, why the character is the way that he is. So I'm, I'm betting Jake didn't like this one too much either. I did not like this too much. I, um, I did watch the entire first episode, though. It, it is bookended by teenage Billy the Kid. But yeah, I, I didn't think the story was so bad. I, I thought the story was actually kind of well done. Um, I do agree that it's necessary to see what happened to his family to kind of get an idea of who he is. I mean, especially just even in the scene that they show at the end of the first episode, like it really adds so much more weight to the situation that's happening, knowing what happened in his past. Um, I thought a lot of the performance and performances in this were really bad, though. I mean, I know I didn't see much Tom Blythe, but I don't know. I just wasn't buying it in either the opening scene or the closing scene. Um, I'd be interested in watching a second episode of this, though. I, I did really enjoy the story. I just thought the presentation wasn't my favorite. Yeah, one episode is not enough, guys, in my opinion. If you don't like the second episode, it's not for you. I am a big fan of Westerns. I'm a big fan of Billy the Kid. I love watching documentaries. Of course, I love Young Guns, Young Guns 2, but those are you know, very have a Hollywood influence. I'm sure that this does, too. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff they embellish. But in the second episode, it's like there's a man that's interested in marrying um, his mother, a very wealthy man, and Billy sees this man um, hang, you know, three Mexicans out in front of a business. And he goes to his mom, says like, this is not a good man. This is not a good man. Trust me. He's not a good man. Later down in the, later on in the episode, um, there's a, uh, woman that works at the, at the, you know, the brothel in town and, uh, she's friends with the mother. She says, and she's got bruises on her and she was beat by her husband uh, this guy that she marries and uh, by the name of Antrim and Billy finds out that you know he's been you know hurting his hurting his mother and seeing this other woman and beating this other woman and all this other stuff and so Billy busts into like the brothel kicks down you know opens the door it doesn't kick it down he opens the door and um fucking beats the shit out of this guy and it's super satisfying watching like this fucking you know woman beater get his ass kicked by a teenager and um later on down the road then 
he fucking tries to he tries to get up in Billy's face and say, "You ever try anything like that again? I'll fucking I'll kick your ass or blah blah blah." They end up getting in a tent for the night because they're traveling somewhere else because this guy's lost all his money and has to find new work. They're in a tent and there's this huge fucking snake in the tent, a rattle rattlesnake. And this is right after this guy fucking got in Billy's face. And this guy's almost pissing himself in the tent. Billy, just cool, calm and collected, takes out his fucking pistol, shoots the rattlesnake in the head. You watch the head explode, and Billy just looks at this guy. And it was badass. So I'm going to give it a high taste. I'm digging. I'm digging the show. I hope it can continue um, to um, show us a really cool portrayal of Billy. And we haven't even gotten to like some of his like gunslinging yet. One episode guys is not enough to fucking, um, just, and I'm not saying you guys are like out on this show, but I don't think one episode of just watching him as a 12 year old kid is enough to, to drop this one. I think you have to get to the second episode and, and, um, but I'm, I'm digging it. It's a high taste it for me. So no more flashbacks after the first episode? It's one and done on the flashbacks for now? No, I think they start off with a little bit of him as a kid in the second episode, but then they jump up. They age him up really quickly after that. Gotcha. You see more of the aged-up Billy then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mo- Most of the, I would say most of the episode is aged-up Billy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, burr, 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 burr. Let's see here. The Offer on uh, Paramount Plus. Um, it's a biographical drama miniseries about the development and production of Francis Ford Coppola's landmark New York gangster film, The Godfather, for Paramount Pictures. And uh, this has got an ensemble cast here. Uh, Miles Teller plays Albert Ruddy. Uh, Juno Temple um, uh, plays Betty McCart. Dan Fogler plays Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Bern Gorman plays Charles Bluedorn. Uh, Colin Hanks is in this. Giovanni Ribisi is in this as Joe Colombo. Lou Ferrigno shows up as uh, as a, one of the mafia's bodyguards, Lenny Montana. And then uh, Anthony Ippolito plays a young Al Pacino. Um, I'm through. They dropped three episodes. I've watched all three. And um, I don't know how historically accurate this is as far as the making of The Godfather. Like, a lot of this is going through... You know, Al Ruddy, um, he leaves his he leaves his job at this at the Rand Corporation and and tries to to make it in Hollywood to be a producer, and uh, actually starts off with uh, being like one of the people that created Hogan's Heroes, and then from there Paramount is they really need a hit movie, and so they start to uh, adapt the best selling novel at the time written by Mario Puzo, The Godfather, and this is going through like. The journey of like Francis Ford Coppola, Al Ruddy, all of them trying to make this movie, make it the way they want it to, make it as long as they want it to with the budget and um, trying to get the actors that they want. They really want to get Marlon Brando in this. It also has Frank Sinatra in this series. He does. He uh, is not happy that there's a character that's basically playing him on screen is going to make him look bad. Um, so Frank Sinatra, there's a great scene between um, Mario Puzo and Frank Sinatra <laughs> yelling at each other in a restaurant. That actually happened. That is 100% true. That really happened. 
Mario Puzo went over to Frank Sinatra um, to tell him he's a big fan, finds out that it, Frank finds out it's Mario Puzo and basically says, you know, you're a fucking traitor. And that's it's a horrible book of, uh, you know, uh, written about Italians. And and um, that that really happened. So I'm sure there's stuff that didn't happen. I I'm three episodes in. I'm fucking loving this. I'm I'm loving this just seeing how difficult it was to make this movie and i think one of my favorite characters he's a fucking weasel in this the guy playing bob evans matthew goody yes he's killing it man he's really really good in this and um there's times where he's trying to help him get the movie made and then there's times where he's trying to fucking say um no you you know i you got to cut down the script. It's a 170-page script. I need it at 120. He's trying to ruin Francis Ford Coppola's vision. And I love... I love... Um, Dan Fogler's doing a great job as Coppola. And then Patrick Gallo is great as Mario Puzo. After each episode, they, they talk about, like, the making of... The making of the offer. And they actually said that Patrick Gallo actually lived with Dan Fogler for a couple weeks while they filmed. So he could get to know him. And he says, we became really good friends. And you can see that friendship on the screen between our two characters. And um, this is a Tupperware for me. I'm loving the offer. I think it's fantastic. Paul, what do you think? This is my favorite thing I watched this week. Um, I don't know. Like, I love The Godfather. I don't know, like how accurate this is i'm kind of now the same way with like winning time like i don't give a shit i'm just enjoying the hell out of this there's some liberties there's some liberties and i just think it's so fun to kind of see you know like ann margaret pops up in this you know we got uh robert redford you know and i think they're killing it with the casting of these characters i'm like jesus christ dude i would have believed that was actually al pacino Well, the guy does a really good young Pacino, (laughs) you know, like before Pacino got. He sounded just like I feel like once once Pacino played big boy Caprice in Dick Tracy, he just kind of like went a little wild with his performances after that. This is a much more reserved Pacino. He sounded like him. Yeah. Yeah. And like and it's so cool for me, like I I, like it, it, it. I think it speaks, at least for me, the way it's written, where I know, like, we're on the 50th anniversary of the movie. Like, I know it's been made. But there's points I'm like, how are they going to get this movie made? Just watching it in the show, like, there's no way it can get made with all the adversity they're facing. And um, I love Juno Temple in this. I love her character and kind of, like, how, how badass she is in this. I just think this is super fucking interesting like it's given us a lot of character or a lot of you know actors we grew like we know and to kind of see them in there like you know when they're starting to rise up like a young redford and margaret and man uh, matthew good he could be like a fucking christopher reeve superman with the way he's doing this he looks just like him but I'm I'm fucking loving this show. This is the favorite thing I watched this week. It's a Tupperware, and yeah, I was a little disappointed. I'm like, God damn, dude! I, I kind of want to watch episode four now because I think episode four we got to be getting Brando soon. I'm so excited to see Brando come into. Oh this. yeah, who's gonna be playing Brando? Um, I think it's Justin Chambers. He was from Grey's Anatomy. I'm not familiar. Like yeah, yeah. Um, the scene where. Yes, yeah, so Sinatra's upset about 
you know, actors, you know, interested in the part of Johnny, Fon- Johnny Fontaine, which is, you know, based on Sinatra. And so that, you know, singer Vic Damone is asked to do it. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. I love The Godfather. Oh I love God. the book. I'll do it. And then, of course, like one of fucking Sinatra's like mafia cronies is at one of Vic Damone's performances and stands up before the, you know, during the performance and says, hey, I hear they've been, you know, knocking at your door to get you to play Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather. Are you going to do it? And he knows that, you know, Sinatra's angry. I can't fucking cross him. And he backs out after making a verbal contract with these guys like. I want to know if that's fucking, if that really happened. Like, did this stuff really For happen? So For sure. Oh, my God. Jake, what did you think about this? Yeah, this was, I, I echo Paul. This was also my favorite thing that I watched this week as well. I've only had a chance to watch the first two episodes so far. But, yeah, I was just so impressed by Paramount Plus with this. Like, if you see this on paper, like, before I watched it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so cheesy. Because I, I think it's really hard to do a show like this where you're going to have a bunch of characters that are very recognizable public figure actors. It's really easy for that to come off as just really, really cheesy and and for that not to work. And I thought this show just really pulls it off. Like it never feels low grade quality or like a parody of itself or anything. And I, much like you guys, this is kind of a blind spot for me. Like I've seen the Godfather plenty of times, but I really had no idea about all the history behind the making of it. And I, I find it just fascinating. I I think um, the uh, author character, Mario Puzo is is my favorite character. I I have no idea that the transition period between book to movie was laid down the way it was. Like it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Like I knew the movie came very quickly after the book, but I didn't really like know the history of why that happened. And uh, yeah, Patrick Gallo was just killing it in that performance. I love him. I think his wife's a great character. And yeah, that Sinatra scene was definitely one of the craziest scenes. Yeah. In those two episodes. The fork. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't wait to see more of this. I I don't know how many episodes there are of this, but I've kind of been holding back on my Google search of finding out the real history until after I watch this. Yeah, because it might ruin I, it for I, you. Yeah, it's, it's been so fun. And yeah. I think after I watch it, I might dive down the rabbit hole, maybe see if there's a documentary out there about the making of The Godfather or just yeah. do some old-fashioned reading. But, yeah, this is great. This grabbed me right away. I. Like I said, I, I just can't repeat enough. Like, I'm so surprised that they pulled this off with so many recognizable celebrities and me not rolling my eyes at all the casting. Like, it's so perfect. I think Miles Teller is fucking great in this, too. Yeah, I agree. I, I think agree. he's really good in this, man. As fucking uh, Al Ruddy. I think he's doing a great job. Giovanni Ribisi is doing really good. I didn't think that he'd be able to pull that off, but... Man, and that's crazy. I just got done doing a Sopranos rewatch, and I got done. They had a companion podcast that would break down each episode, and they really one of the actors on that show, uh, Steve Sherpa, actually lived in the neighborhood during the Columbo era. So it's kind of really cool seeing like the growth of Giovanni Ribisi's Columbo guy, mm-hmm. and just like how he can come off as like kind of a nice dude, and like oh my god, this guy could be like a son of a bitch, dude. Did you have you gone through? Have you watched the three episodes yet, Paul? All three? Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how he kind of does a. F- <laughs> no, I'm gonna shut up. It's really, I know, I know, yeah. I know, because it's it like it's wild, kind of the condition. And when you talk to Puzo, he's like, "Oh yeah, 
like hardly in there. But yeah, it, it, it's fucking great, man. I yeah, I think it's ten episodes, and I'm just so fucking excited to see where this is gonna go. Like I, I'm just excited to see how well they're gonna make you know like a Diane Keaton look like Diane Keaton. Uh, I can't wait to see, you know, like James, James Khan Khan. come in yeah. and all of the controversy because he's not actually he's not Italian at all. So yeah. I don't know if they're going to cover that in the in the show. But like all roads lead to Brando right now. And that's what I'm most excited about. I remember. I remember. It, I think it was. Uh, I think it was like one, it was like David Letterman. It was Letterman. I can't remember. If it was his first show. That he did on, uh, who did he go? He went to CBS. I can't remember if it was his first show on CBS. I think it might have been. He got a guest that he never had on on Late Night. And he got James Caan. And <laughs> it was the, James Caan was so reserved. And, <laughs> and it was the worst interview. And I, you could tell that James Conn didn't want to be there. He didn't like David. You could tell that David was trying to pull stuff out of him and he just wasn't having it. It was terrible. <laughs> and, um, you know, David was really excited to get him on. Like, this is a guy I've never had on the show before. Anyway, like the next night on the late show, <laughs> David made a joke about like, but about having you know how it really worked out having James Conn on the show and never having him on before. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about David, man. He just like you know, he didn't fucking disrespect the guy when he was there. He waited till he left to talk shit. Uh, <laughs> it was super funny. I always loved Dave Letterman, Jake, when he would have like him when him and Cher would go at it, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there were some really awkward interviews with Letterman, that's for sure. Uh, him and she, well, and she kept coming back, though. Like, she was on quite a few episodes, but they would always fucking bicker at each other. Same thing with Letterman and Madonna would not get along a lot. Um, but then David Letterman and Terry Garr used to flirt all the time. <laughs> I used to love the Terry Gar episodes because she would flirt with David and David would kind of flirt with her. It was really funny. And then, oh, and then there was the, the episode where Drew Barrymore took off her top and showed David. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. That's pop culture legend right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. Crispin Glover's career kind of go downhill after he was on David Letterman? Like he almost kicked him right in the face because he was just being so off the wall. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, that's interesting. I just remember Bobcat Goldthwait setting the couch on fire on Leno. I was getting ready to bring that up. He's actually still to this day banned. From oh, I know. Show. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. That was insane. Anyway. Uh, let's see here. Jake, you're wanting a break, aren't you, buddy? Oh, I could use it. Oh, I know you could. I should just plow through. I'll talk about more first. I'm, I can hold it. All right. Two, I was hoping Jake would have yelled, fuck, break, you know, like the alien from the man who fell to earth because <laughs> you have to throw fuck in more and be loud, and that's how you get heard. Yeah, that was the only part of that show that was super unbelievable. I was like, any real pawn shop owner would have just been like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Not giving you double the money because you yelled at them. <laughs> Uh, the next two things we can talk about pretty quickly. Um, especially, did you guys watch David Spade? Nothing personal. I can talk about this real quickly. Yeah, me too. It was terrible. 
Well, I, I turned it off, it. man. I got 10 <laughs> minutes into it, and I stopped. Oh, you didn't watch it, Jake? No. Is it stand-up? Yeah. Mm, it wasn't good. No. I hated it. I watched the whole thing, hoping for... Because I love David Spade. Me too. I think he's hilarious. This was just not a good special. So, yeah, it's a toss-it for me, sadly. And I love David Spade. Oof. And his Lights Out show on Comedy Central, when that was on, absolute Tupperware. Probably one of the funniest talk shows ever. So good. He had such great chemistry with the guests. This is just not a good stand-up. I just didn't find it funny. Not at all. Not in the slightest. I, maybe there's a couple things I laughed at, but that's about it, man. It was a rough watch. So, yeah. Toss David Spade, nothing personal. I hate to say it because I love David Spade. I love his new podcast, too. So, anyway. Bullshit, the game show on Netflix. I watched about an episode and a half. I just had to see, like, how one contestant wrapped things up. Uh, let me just say this. When it comes to game shows on Netflix, I hate the fact that it's just... Game shows, I don't think it should be instant satisfaction, like where you just get to watch the next episode. Because I get burnt out on the shit. I think, like, it's better to just watch an episode and then, like, you know, watch another episode the next day, like the way we used to back in the day, you know, when you just watch, like, a game show one episode a day. I just don't... The, the fact that they're all just there... And I could just, I don't like that with game shows. It, that's a that's a great point. Like you're not trying to watch eight episodes of Wheel of Fortune in a row. I know, and I feel like that's like yes. So I don't know. This is a bullshit. The game show is this based on a board game or a home game or something? Yes. Okay. Contest card game. A card game. Contestants strive to correctly answer difficult trivia questions, and when they can't, they simply move on to plan B, lying through their teeth. It's a mix between a traditional quiz show and the card game called Cheat, also known as I Doubt It or Bullshit. We'll see players working their way up the money ladder by answering questions correctly or wrongly. They can and will get called out, however, and it's hosted by Howie Mandel. I think it's fun enough, and I think like the people that they have um, on are interesting and funny enough. Um, I'll give it a high taste it, but I just I just wanted to like watch an episode and see how like one one of the contestants runs kind of like wrapped up, and then I was like, okay, I'm good. I don't need to go back to this. Maybe I'll watch more later if I'm bored. But yeah, I don't. I don't feel like I just want to sit down and watch fucking, like you said, Jake, eight hours of a goddamn game show. <laughs> yeah, that seems really weird. Yeah. What'd you think, Jake? Oh, I didn't watch this. God damn it. Oh, I, I, it was a game show. I was like, of, of all the things, Jake is going to watch a game show. I know, I know. It came out on Friday, and so I the, the stuff that came out on Friday, I was fucked on this week. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Paul, did you watch any of this? Yeah, I got through like three episodes. I'm at a taste it. It's it's entertaining. I, I I'm never gonna be like, oh, I, like I need to watch this more. But like, it reminded me of the card game, and then kind of that board game Balderdash, where you make up your own uh, dictionary definitions. I love and, that game. Oh, that game's awesome. But like, I love how like you know like. It is kind of cool that you have like those three people kind of trying to decipher if that person is full of shit, but like they're all like body, like they're all coming off like body language experts. Like, Oh, you look to the left, you're full of shit. Like you couldn't look me in the eye that always seemed to be the excuse. But yeah, like I thought it was fun enough. Like it was a fun little concept. You could, some of the locking in system got a little, like, I don't know. It was a little confusing at first, but I think Howie Mandel is charming as hell. So 
yeah, it's a taste of, but it's not something I needed or will go back to. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting show. It's like the, you know, he'll ask you a question and, and you'll answer. And sometimes, you know, if you get the answer right, of course you move on to the next question. You can win up to a million dollars. Um, but if you don't know what the answer is, then it's at that point you're trying to explain why you chose that as your answer and you're trying to bullshit the other contestants. And if they believe you, then, um, you know, even if one of them fucking, if just, two yeah, of them, just one yeah, person, if two of them say you're bullshit and then one person says, no, I believed you and you were still wrong, you still get to move on to the next question. So, like, there's like one girl and she had like, you know, out of seven questions, she only got three right. But she still made like, you know, what was it? Like $250,000 or something. Like and that. she yeah. had the best bullshit, too. If she would have kept talking, they all would have known. But it was like that Kevin Costner question. Yeah. And she's like, I watched these with my mom. And then like when they all locked in, she's like, yeah, the only real Kevin Costner movie I've seen is Footloose. I feel like, Jake, I feel like you'd be good at this game show. Nice. I feel like when you were describing it, I was like, oh, I want to play this. I think you'd be good. I'd be terrible at it. I'd be terrible at it. I would be horrible. I would. I would. I do. I do well at Balderdash, That's, and it's very similar. Yeah, I. I would probably suck at this fucking game. I would. Be. I would never get off the panel because I would. I'm so gullible. I would probably believe everything they were saying. I would. I would. Get, I would get the thousand dollars, and I'd lock in, and then I'd be like, "Okay, I'm done." And they're like, <laughs> "Take the money and run." Oh they're, my god! Howie threw some shade at like fucking Hulu. When like the person locked in a thousand, they're like, you know, maybe I'll pay for the flight home, and he's like, oh, we got your flight. This isn't Hulu. It's like, damn, how he's throwing shade. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, yeah, yeah. Just wait, Howie. Wait until you get canceled, buddy. <laughs> you're on net. <laughs> you're on Netflix. Anyway, let's take a break. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We got more good pop, bad pop. Sounds good. Making pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Bacon pancakes, that's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. Bacon pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. Bacon pancakes, that's what it's gonna make. Bacon pancakes. Bacon pancakes, making bacon pancakes. Take some bacon and I'll put it in a pancake. All right, hey, we are back. We just got one more thing left in Good Pop, Bad Pop before we make our way into the news. And the final thing we're going to talk about, me and Paul watched this. It's a movie that dropped on HBO Max. Did this come – was this an HBO Max exclusive? Because, like, if I'm reading the date, it looks like it came out in 2021. I just don't remember this being a theatrical release. So I'm guessing it's an HBO Max original. Maybe – I don't know. From an article I read, it was just on HBO Max and they – I'm not, like I forget like the like it came out specifically on that Jew uh, on the Jewish holiday like in remembrance okay a couple days ago so I feel like it was just for HBO Max from what I read interesting it's... it was distributed by HBO Films so okay. even if it wasn't an HBO Max exclusive it was at the worst an HBO exclusive right I just don't remember. 
Anyway, we got the movie. Uh, the Survivor. It's a biographical drama film instructed by Barry Levinson from a screenplay by Justine Jewel Gilmer. Ben Foster stars as Harry Half, the real-life survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp where he boxed fellow inmates to survive. Vicky Creeps, Billy Magnuson, Peter Sarsgaard, John Leguizamo, and Danny DeVito co-star. Huge cast here. And, uh, yeah, it's a... It's a it's a it's a movie that bounces back and forth in time, telling the the life of Harry Haft here, and um, loses most of his family members during the Holocaust, and um, has a a lot of this movie is is this guy trying to be reuni- reunited with his first love, this woman named Leia uh, that he was separated from, and. He wants to get his name out there as a boxer so that maybe one day she'll see, you know, his name in the paper or something like that, and they'll be reunited. And throughout this, he's interviewed by Peter Sarsgaard's character of Emery Anderson, who, and he tells a story to him, and that lands him a fight with the biggest boxer of the time, uh, Rocky Marciano, and... Um, I mean, this had a lot of. St- <laughs> this had a lot of stuff. Like when, when it would when it would do the flashbacks into his time at Auschwitz, it would show Billy Magnuson plays like the Nazi officer who was basically like his, the guy that set up the fights for him in the camp, and he would have to fight other. Um, he would either have to fight other Jews in the camp or he'd have to fight like other like fi- like real fighters. Like he, at one time he fought like a French fighter that was like a like a middleweight or something like that, like a real middleweight. Yeah. And he'd have to fight for his life. So like whoever dies, like you're going to get a bullet to the head at the end of this if you don't win. So you're fighting for your life. And this really happened, which is just insane. Everything happened here. Like, you know, the fight with Rocky Marciano. And I mean, if you want to... Uh, Trust, uh, there's a great movie about Rocky Marciano starring John Favreau. He plays Rocky Marciano. It came out in 99. John Favreau got in incredible shape. He just got jacked for this movie. Um, of course, I knew the outcome of this fight because I knew Rocky Marciano went undefeated his entire career. His entire professional career, Rocky Marciano was never beat. And if you want to watch it's called, the movie's called Rocky Marciano, I believe. You can watch it on roku channel pluto tv has it Tubi tv has it i would highly recommend it it's a great fucking movie but um there's i mean this is a this this is a tough movie to watch it's it's ben foster is just amazing in this movie i think he steals the fucking movie i think the, ben foster is just a tremendous actor and um everything i've seen him and he just elevates it he's so good but yeah um He's fighting for his life. And it, there's, a, there's times in this movie where he has to fight people. And you know he doesn't want to, but he has to do it to survive. And uh, Billy Magnuson's character, the Nazi that's basically like in control of his you know, fighting career throughout Auschwitz, treats him like he's a pet. And it's sickening. And you've got Nazis calling him a, a Jew animal throughout this. And it, it triggers something later on in him in the movie where like another promoter says, you know, you're an animal, you're a beast, trying to say it to pump him up. And he takes it from, like, it just reminds him of being called a Jew animal, which is, like, 
terrible. Like some of these scenes are just heart wrenching. They're 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 it's really hard to watch. Um, Danny DeVito's great in it. He's one of uh, Rocky Marciano's trainers, but he's also Jewish, and and he gives up a couple days of his time to actually, you know, give, you know, Harry, you know, a chance at this fight. He knows he's not going to win. He's like, nobody can beat Rocky Marciano, but I'm going to give you a fighting chance here to, you know, actually look good in the ring and just not get destroyed by Rocky Marciano. Uh, This is a Tupperware. This is uh, one of the best movies I've seen all year. Absolutely fantastic. Um, When it goes into... The flashbacks at Auschwitz, they take a black and white approach to it, much like, you know, Schindler's List, which, I mean, you know, um, I think it was the right choice, though. This is a Tupperware. It's a hard movie to watch. And it's like, you know, I love boxing movies, but when I'm watching the boxing movie in this one, there's really only one match that I can kind of root for, and it's the fight against Rocky Marciano. Everything else is everyone fighting for a chance at survival. And... um Man, it's this is this is a this is a tough one to watch, but it's a wonder, amazing performance by Ben Foster here. Paul, what'd you think about the Survivor? Yeah, this this movie was fucking incredibly difficult to get through. I know, like you know, like he's a boxer, but man, this is more of a movie of like fucking survivors' guilt and remorse, and just like kind of man, because you know. He had to do what he had to do to survive, but it also alienates him from like the other all of his other like Jewish friends back home when the story gets out. Like, you know, like he really kind of alienates and all in his quest to just find the person that helped get him through, just the memories of her got him through Auschwitz. Um man, dude, I've said this quite a few times, but Ben Foster might be one of the most underappreciated actors of all time. He wasn't nominated, but I still think he should have won the goddamn Best Supporting Actor role for 310 to Yuma back in 2007. This guy has just always been bringing it in. He does, like, this is, man, yeah, it's one of the best movies of the year, but this is the best male performance of the year I've seen is is him as Harry Haft. um, Just... Man, dude, like they do such a good job because like kind of the boxing ends halfway through the movie and it's just kind of him, you know, dealing with the fact that, dude, he survived one of the most atrocious things to ever happen to like people. And he's just trying to pick up the pieces and like he's got PTSD. He's lashing out at his family. You know, they're not doing anything wrong. He's just he's just going through it. And I think uh you know, Danny DeVito did a great job. I love John Leguizamo as Pepe. Barclay was awesome. But, uh, yeah, this was – I don't know if this is something I'll be like, yeah, dude, I really want to watch that again. I don't think I can because, man, those boxing scenes are fucking brutal. It's more the ending of anything. And especially, you know, there's one specific opponent that he has to fight that just – it rips the heart right out of your body, man. And – and you know, I love Billy Magnuson from fucking you know Game Night, like oh yeah, so fucking hilarious. And to see him, like to me, he's on level with DiCaprio from Django Unchained in this. Like it, they're almost the same character, just like pure entertainment of seeing people just fight to the death because you think they're just you know expendable. It's just it's fucking. It's heartbreaking, but I think it's a very important watch. Yeah, it's a it, it's a Tupperware, and it's. 
is probably the best performance of the year from Ben Foster. And he lost 62 pounds for this movie. God, uh, yeah, I, I kept looking at him and I was just like, how is this real? How how can he get himself to look that emaciated? It, lo- it looked very unhealthy. Yeah, and... You know, to go on that, I don't like sometimes the prosthetics can take you out when he's older and a little more beefed up. They did a really good job on the makeup of making him look older and beefier. Yeah. Like it never once took me out. Yeah, this is a Tupperware. I I mean, it's not something I'm gonna watch all the time. I could see myself watching this again. It makes you feel stuff. It makes you feel feel things. I've watched Schindler's List. A handful of times in my life. I don't watch it all the time, but every once in a while I do want to. It's such an inspiring story. It's 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 worth it for me to watch Schindler's List to get to the end where you see the real um, uh, Jewish families going to the grave. That Mm -hmm. that's what it's I mean. The journey of watching that movie is heart wrenching and you cry and it's. It's it's hard. It's hard to watch that movie, but there's a huge payoff when you realize when you get to the end of that movie and they're all visiting, you know, the grave of Mr. Schindler and what, you know, what he means for so many generations of families that have now of Jews that have that have gone on and survived because of him. If it wasn't for him and basically putting up all of his fortune up to keep them alive, like these families would not be there today to be even be at that grave. It's a, it's an incredible story. And it's worth watching that movie for me. I've maybe seen it, you know, five times in my life, but every time it's worth it just to get to the end. Cause I know that it's going to end with that scene. And that scene is just so powerful. And I felt like this is in a lot of the same ways, like, this ends with a with a, with an incredibly powerful scene. Actually, a yeah. couple of them that are incredibly powerful. Well, yeah, I mean, the like. Well, I don't want to spoil it. No, yeah. no, like yeah. I know that's why I'm trying. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to shut up. But yeah, it's just it's just like the human spirit and just like the guilt he has of thinking he actually had a choice. And it's like, no, dude, you didn't, man. You yeah. didn't. Like you were just like just oh man, it, it, it's heartbreaking, but. And it's just so cool. Like I don't know, he he did a great fucking job in this. I think everybody everybody in this movie did a fantastic job bringing these characters to life. Whether they're awesome people, like even Billy Magnuson, like you fucking hate him, man. Like he oh, he's so job. good though. Oh my god, he did a great job just portraying just such a fucking piece of shit, dude. Like the manipulation he's doing to Ben Foster. Dude, oh I'm God, just dude. I'm looking at Ben Foster's fucking filmography here, and there's just some great fucking movies in here: um, Hell or High Water, Three Ten oh, to yeah. Yuma, Leave No Trace. Um, I mean, there's some just there's some great movies, some killer fucking Ben Foster performances. He needs to be in more shit. This guy does. Has he won a fucking Academy Award? He needs to. This guy needs to. I don't even think he's been nominated. It's fucking insane. He's fucking great, man. He should get it for this movie. I like. I I agree. Coda kind of blew it open that streaming movies now have an actual chance of winning. Yeah. You know, the gold. And I think, I think if if he's not nominated, it's a goddamn shame. Yeah, this is incredible. A fantastic movie. Tupperware. Um, 
Jake, I recommend this one. I do. I really recommend. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I the subject matter is, you know, very interesting to me. And yeah, I'm the same way as you. I I haven't seen Schindler's List a ton, but yeah, just maybe about four or five times. And yeah, every time it's a hard watch. Yeah, the the ending is so powerful. That's man. When I want to feel something, there's times, dude, there's times where I just want a good cry. I want to feel something. And Schindler's List brings it out of me every time. Every time. And it's a masterclass in filmmaking. Like, if you just watch it even from that lens, like, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, let's jump into the uh, pop culture leftovers news. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. All right. Yeah. CinemaCon happened over the week. God damn it, Jake. We need to go to CinemaCon. A lot of yeah, shit happened. That sounds there. fucking fun. I want to see trailers that no one else gets to see. A lot of shit happened at CinemaCon. Absolutely, man. I yeah. I need to look into going to CinemaCon. That needs to Where's happen. Where's that at? Las Vegas. Oh yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Um they they uh they showed Top Gun Maverick in its entirety at CinemaCon. How were the reactions? Very good. People love it. People they showed the whole movie. They showed the whole movie. People are loving it. They're saying it's very good. They say yes, it has a lot of the same beats from the first film, but it's going to be a crowd pleaser. And they think um, that people are going to be seeing this in the theaters. They think it's going to. They think it's going to do quite well in the box office. And so we're less than a month away. Jake, you just need to watch the original. Like, we're less than a month away. Just watch it now. Just watch it because... Okay. And, I'm in. I'm in. I'll put it on my next to-do list. Yeah. Just watch it. And um, I, it'll be interesting to see if it, if it can, you know, if you don't have the nostalgia for it, if it can hold up. But, I mean, it does, it, in my opinion, it has some great fucking performances. Val Kilmer's fantastic as Iceman. And um, I love the movie and I'm so looking forward to seeing this in fucking IMAX, man. I'm there. I'm going to watching this at home. Fuck off. No, I want to hear these fucking jets, uh, in Dolby Atmos and, and just to be surrounded, um, by the, by the sounds. I, I cannot wait for Top Gun Maverick. So yeah, they showed for it sure. in its entirety, and people the people that saw it said it's very, very good, and they believe it's going to do quite well this summer. Yeah, I mean, this has been in the can a long time, and there's a reason why they haven't just said fuck it and put it on streaming somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, they know. They know that you need to see this in the theater. I, I've seen a lot of buzz this week about the title song track. I guess Lady Gaga is doing the, the title song for the movie. Yeah. And the people that have heard it are saying it's one of those songs that it's going to be around for the rest of your life. Like it's a, it's a song of legends is the buzz. Well, I mean the think about, you know, the first movie, you know, that take my breath away song. And, um, and of course, Kenny Loggins, danger zone, danger zone. That's a banger, dude. I tell you one thing, man, when I fucking hear that song, if I'm like at the gym or if I'm out driving and shit, it I, it it pumps me up. It still pumps me up to this day. And maybe it's just the maybe I'm hitting that dad rock age or something. I don't know. But it just fucking <laughs> I, I fucking love that song. I love the Kenny Loggins. That, that song. shit pumps me up too, dude. And I've never seen Top Gun, so I associate that song with a song I listen to while I'm playing Grand Theft Auto video games and just going five star in that shit. <laughs> 
yeah, you need to watch. You need to watch Top Gun. It needs to happen. It needs to happen. It's a fucking fantastic movie. Paul, what, what's your history with Top Gun? You a fan? Yeah, I, I've seen it uh, twice. I do enjoy it. Um, but man, the this is the first time I seen the trailer when I saw the unbearable weight of massive massive success. And holy fuck, dude, that got me going, man. Those those dogfight scenes look awesome. But, like, I kind of really love the loving tribute they gave to Val Kilmer in the trailer alone. Yeah. Like, that's really fucking cool, man. Like, I'm, yeah, this looks fucking awesome, man. Well, Miles just, Teller's playing Goose's son. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, he's kind of, like, what, like, he said something in the trailer, he's like, He's like, I'm not gonna make the same the same mistake my dad made yeah. believing in you. I'm like, oh fuck, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, this I I cannot wait for this movie. Opening night, dude. I'm there. Like, it it'll be hard for me not to, if I love this movie. It'll be hard for me not to buy a ticket to the to the showing right after if they have another one. Oh, that's awesome. Because I, Jake, I I love I love Top Gun, and to see this in the theater, I cannot wait. I just cannot. Wait to see this movie. Um, news from Yahoo. Oh, real, real quick, I yeah. want to give a shout out to uh, Nathan McConnell. He actually hit me up on Facebook last week and asked me if I'd seen Top Gun yet, and I told him no. And he uh, sent me a digital copy of the brand new 4K edition. So oh. I, I really appreciate that, Nathan. I that is what I'll be using when I watch Top Gun this week. All right, awesome. Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, get this fucker to watch Top Gun fucking 30 plus years later. He says it's his favorite movie of all time. Good for you. Nathan's got good fucking taste then. Nathan's got good fucking taste. It's a great fucking movie. Definitely up there for me too. I love Top Gun. Oh, man, I have anxiety at this point about watching this movie. Ah, you're going to shit on it. (laughs) I don't want to. That's the anxiety. (laughs) You'll shit on it. You'll shit on it. Anyway, uh, yeah, I guess they showed some uh, footage at CinemaCon of John Wick Chapter 4. And uh, don't have a lot here to say about it, to be quite honest with you. But what got me fucking uh, really pumped for this one is they said, what's new this time around? Well, him wielding nunchucks to beat some thugs to death is a good start. <laughs> the rest is more stylized goodness and rainy neon colored set pieces. Holy fuck. You had me at nunchucks beating some thugs to death. Oh my God. I am in love already with John Wick chapter four and I cannot wait to see this fucking footage. Uh, Jake, you still haven't watched three, have you? I still have not seen John Wick three. I, I'll get I'll get to that at some point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Paul, are you a John Wick fan? I am. I am, and I may get flack for this. I still want that shared universe of John Wick and nobody. Oh no, I I I I'd, I'd be down for that as well. I know that they're they uh, uh, the ballerina spinoff. Ana de Armas is going to be the lead in that. So that'll be interesting. I think that that's a great choice um, to have her in there. Let's see what she can fucking do. Um, I'm ready for that as well. Uh, Are we still getting the Continental series that was supposed to go to stars? I I, I think we are. I think that's still a thing. Mel Gibson is it now. Oh, is he? Okay. You know, um, man, just based off of like the 10 minutes of No Time to Die – of Ana de Armas just kicking so much ass. It's the perfect fit for her to be in the John Wick universe, man. Mm. I agree. I wanted her as the next Bond. Me this too. is probably as close as I'll get, so I'll take it. 
I wanted just 20 more minutes of her in No Time to Die. She's in it for like seven minutes, man, but she's she's fucking awesome in that. I think they showed some footage of uh, the next Mission Impossible as well, and they said that that was, they said that it looks insane. They said it looks insane. I think people were going nuts over the footage that they showed there. Of course, Tom Cruise was talking to the audience while standing in a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so he was uh, he filmed something special for the audience there and at CinemaCon, and then they showed you know a little bit of the, some of the clips and action stunts from the movie. There, I guess there's a scene where he like jumping over a canyon or something. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it looks like you know he's got to pull a shoot or he's gonna die. So um, I can't wait, man. I fucking love those Mission Impossible films. They're fantastic. Um, we got some news out of CinemaCon for Avatar 2 as well. We also got a title. Uh, this actually comes from an Eric Davis tweet. He's from Fandango. And he says, Justin, Avatar 2 is called The Way of Water. The first footage was stunning. The footage we just watched will play only in theaters with Doctor Strange next week. A week later, it will be online. Jake, we actually talked about this rumor on episode 418 when I reported the rumor from The Ankler. That Avatar 2 trailer was attached to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That rumor turned out to be true. So we are getting Avatar 2 trailer with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I, Jake, like we talked about this a little before we recorded. I don't know if it's only going to be for the 3D showings of Doctor Strange. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard saying. I mean, Cameron's going to get what Cameron wants. Um, but yeah, I just want to say, you know, as much on this podcast as I've poo-pooed on the idea of Avatar 2, like, I got to applaud Cameron. I think it's really cool to do this kind of thing and make me excited to see a trailer that I can only see in the movie theater instead of just being dulled to it already by the time I see anything. I don't ever count Cameron out of, of anything. So no, as well, you shouldn't as well. You shouldn't. I'm probably the one being the fool thinking this is going to be anything near a flop. Um, well, in the box office, it's, it's going to blow up. I don't care what you say, even if it makes half of the money that the first one did, it's still going to be a huge success. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to like the movie, but this is going to fucking with the with the 3D upcharge. And with like if this gets a, if this does get a China release. Um, it's going to be huge. This movie's going to be huge. Um, oh, Eric Davis also said, here we go. Avatar 2 is the finisher for Disney at CinemaCon. Producer John Landau is on stage now. They are re-releasing the original Avatar in theaters around the world this September, remastering the picture and sound. Each sequel will play out as a standalone movie. So that's what he had to say. And it's called... Uh, Way of the Water. Oh, Jermaine Lucier from uh, io9 said, as for the footage, it looks suitably beautiful, but also very familiar. It's still Pandora, but now there are large vistas, underwater creatures and swimming. Jake has a new haircut and lots of kid Navi. <laughs> so, yeah. That's inspiring to hear that each one's going to be its own standalone. I, I'm not going to lie. It kind of worried me knowing that all these sequels were already like done basically like it made me feel like we were going to get this thing where every movie ended with some asinine cliffhanger and it's encouraging to know that he thought about a beginning a middle and an end for each movie yeah yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the trailer i want to see what it looks like hopefully uh first time i see it i'll uh, yeah first time i'm seeing it i'm not seeing a 3d showing though so 
yeah, me and you will probably be seeing it together for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's wild. I think it'll be a really interesting litmus test when they re-release the first movie. I, I'm actually very fascinated to see what kind of numbers that does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they're remastering it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people may come out in droves just for that re-release of the first movie. And at that point, it's like a guaranteed success. Well, think about this. And I know people are probably thinking, well, what? Avatar is terrible. Why would people go to see it? Um, it's it's just the 3D of it all, guys. That's all it is. And 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 the thing is, I think like uh, movie came out, I believe, in 2008, and so there were a lot of young kids that didn't get a chance to see it in the theaters in the 3D. So maybe their parents are going to want to take them to this to watch this movie in 3D because it really is like the the way that the 3D is filmed with those 3D fusion cameras. It 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 it's it takes 3D to another level, in my opinion. So Yeah, yeah. No one's louder than the haters either, right? You can't judge yeah, what's going to happen based on the haters. Like, you know, <laughs> haters have been hating on the Transformer franchise for, what, five-plus movies in a row now. And they make – Every <laughs> single one is big business. Huge. They make tons of money. It's insane, yeah. Um, news from Dark Horizons. Uh, filmmaker Justin Lin has abruptly announced that he will no longer direct Fast – is it fast? Is it fast X or fast ten? Is that the Roman Roman numeral? I think it's the Roman numeral, but my guess is they want you to say fast X. Yeah. So so yeah, fast. I'll just call it fast ten. Um, it's the tenth installment of the fan, Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, Lynn shared the news on Instagram, posting a statement that says, "With with the support of Universal, I have made a." difficult decision to step back as director of Fast 10 while remaining with the project as a producer. Uh, Lynn is said to be amicably, amicably stepping away from the franchise over the oldest of reasons, creative differences. So, yeah, there's still, look, Jake, like, and they're not moving the date. They're not, it's still set to open in theaters on May 19th, 2023, there are no plans to shift that at this time. Um, I think Vin right, Diesel's going to direct this motherfucker himself. Everybody's <laughs> saying that Vin Diesel's going to take the wheel of this one. Um, yeah, I think they are, in a, like, they are in a race now to find a, a new director, though. Yeah, what's James Wan doing? I mean, he'd be a good one for it. He's already done one of these movies. He's familiar with the cast. Yeah. I know it's a pipe dream, but get Edgar Wright to do this thing. No. Oh, that would be amazing. I don't think that's... There's no way. <laughs> There's no way it's going to happen. Yeah, he but... demands too much creative control. Him and Ben Diesel would be in fist fights I, by day two. I don't think... <laughs> I honestly... Like, I love Edgar Wright, but I don't think... I don't think... A, a, if you have him do a fast movie, it's not going to be a fast movie. It's just not... You know what I mean? It'll be an Edgar Wright movie and not a fast movie. I think anytime you get Edgar Wright to involved into something, it turns into something that's totally Edgar Wright. I don't think it would feel like a fast movie. It would be like the weird, you know what I mean? I like, feel like some of them are better than others, but Edgar Wright just puts his stamp on his stuff. And I don't, I, I think it would be too much of a huge departure from like what fans have been used to <laughs> you know I, I i agree with that I, fans oh, would yeah. revolt yes there are gonna be i mean but here's the thing it would paul i like what you're saying because like i think it would bring about a whole new fan base but the yeah. but the hold on paul but you're you're 
you you are what you're doing with that is you're saying fuck the old fan base that brought us here by getting Edgar oh, yeah. right there. So yeah. and there's more of the old fan base. You're going to make yes. more money pleasing them than bringing in the other yeah. fan base. Yeah, I totally agree. I was just thinking of the baby driver chase scenes. No, and I love that. I love that. Like, I think if they were to, like, if they were just completely rebooting the fr- the fast franchise and starting, you know, completely anew. Let's say we're like ten years, fifteen years removed from the franchise. Edgar Wright would be a fun guy to fucking hand this over to and see what he could do with, like, you know fast movies and like of course you get nick frost as a driver and simon Pegg as a driver <laughs> and it'd be fun but man you're alienating your old fan base if you get edgar wright in to like take over fast 10 like for me paul i would be like let's and this is the same thing i would want to get um james mangold to do it because he That'd did be- such a great job in ford v ferrari but a james mangold fucking fast movie I don't think people are going to be down for that either. I think we they want just like the um, a Peyton Reed type. <laughs> I think they should play it safe and get Greta Gerwig for sure. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a bigger job than just Fast Ten too. They were filming two movies back to back. They're doing ten and eleven as one shoot. Yeah, so that, that's tough, man, to get someone that's going to excite people just by hearing their name in such a short amount of time that they have. Like I, this news is very interesting. I, I cannot wait to see the next headline, and I think we're going to see it soon. Oh yeah, we have to. Yeah, I mean now that John Watts lets left uh, Fantastic Four, maybe he's going to come do Fast X. I think he – yeah, actually, that's our next story because we're moving into Marvel news. All right. Hold oh, on. sorry, man. No, 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 no. no, no sorry. No. Great segue. Uh, great segue. Marvel news. All right. Yeah. Uh, Deadline reports John Watts has stepped down as the director for the Fantastic Four. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home Helmer John Watts is exiting as director of Marvel Studios' latest reinvention of its comic series, Fantastic Four at Disney. Watts was expected to make Fantastic Four his next film, but reportedly, quote, needs a break from the superhero realm. After serving as director of the three Tom Holland-led Spider-Man films. Marvel Studios President Kevin Feige says in a statement, We understand and are supportive of his reasons for stepping away. We are optimistic that we will have the opportunity to work together again at some point down the road. Are we getting the whole story here? I would say no. I, it just makes no sense to me. Like He knows what he was getting into. Like What changed between now and then? There's definitely a missing piece to this story. I, I just something smells rotten in Denmark that he would just be like, oh, I need a break from superhero movies after making a movie like No Way Home. Hmm. We don't know what's going on with this guy. Is it overwhelming? You know, I mean, does he suffer? I mean, you know, is there some anxiety involved with doing the, I mean, you know, maybe there is that sometimes anxiety can be good. Sometimes anxiety, even when you're going through it, it can push you um, to do a better job. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I've been listening to that fly on the wall podcast and 
Uh, it's with uh, Dana Carvey and uh, and um, David Spade, and they're talking about their time on SNL. And what's crazy about listening to them talk, and I was listening to them, to, to them talk uh, with uh, Mike Myers recently. Mike Myers is just like, you know, th- you know, those first few months at SNL, like people thought I was doing great. But like for me, I was like, there's a moment where he like broke down and he's crying on the floor because he's like, I'm, and he thinks he's going to get fired every week. And there's like all this pressure jake and that's just snl like and you hear from all the guys like every week like even chris rock was like i'm gonna get fired every week i'm gonna get fired every week and yeah of course he did but you know dana carvey thought he's gonna get fired david spade thought he's gonna get fired week to week there's a lot of anxiety but some of that anxiety pushed their creativity do you think that there might be like like these marvel movies are no joke like these are not indie films these are like multi-million dollar budgets and do you think that after three of these maybe john is just like man this is i need something smaller scale i this is too big this is just too big i can't handle this because i know he's like i think he's working on a on a smaller project right now with apple tv um i'd have to look that up here i can i'll find it here in a moment but do you think yeah, maybe it, he maybe he is smart? You're you're talking a lot of sense, Brian. It makes me think of like just kind of going out on top too. Like he has to know that it's almost completely like improbable for whatever superhero movie he makes to top the financial success of the last one he made. So why like why play that fool? Like those headlines are going to exist when Fantastic Four doesn't make as much money as No Way Home because he was the director of both. Those comparisons are going to be made, and I, maybe he just wants to step away from that shadow. Maybe he doesn't. Yeah, maybe he doesn't want to step into like just the anxiety of like of 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 worrying about being successful when it comes to this. Yeah, he's working on. A, he's linked to an Apple Studios film that plans to have George Clooney and Brad Pitt starring as rival fixers who find themselves simultaneously hired for the same job. So that's he's working on something with Clooney and Pitt, but. Um, Paul, what do you I think? That feeling never goes away, though. Like, if he waits five to six years to make another movie, then it's almost like a, a fine wine at that point, where people are going to be like, "It's his first superhero movie since No Way Home." <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's kind of a no-win situation for him. But that's the case. I feel like, you know, this this kind of feels like what the Russos did too, right? Yeah, it make it's the same kind of scenario too. It's like after Endgame, what yeah. do you do? Right. It was just like so huge. And maybe like there was like this huge like relief, like we did it. People loved it. I don't know if I'm ready to jump right back into this again. <laughs> like, you know, just ride that high for a while and do some other things. I don't know. Cause like, yeah. I don't know, man. It's universally loved pretty much. Like, and fans are so fickle. I mean, obviously, I've seen a few haters here sure. and there, but like the consensus for the most part is, is, it's the end game of Spider-Man movies. So it's like, well, how do you follow that up? Yeah, I don't know. Paul, what do you think, man? It's like, because, I mean, we could be way off. It could just be fucking creative differences or he's had his fill with Marvel or, I mean, we could be way off here. I, like, I don't know how he's feeling after this, if it's anxiety, if it's trying to live up to like what he's just done. I, I, I really don't know, Paul. Do you have any ideas? Well, like I'm, I, I'm with the same mindset of Jake. Like fucking, you know, leave on a high. Like you blew away expectations, and then like 
also, like, I think it's the anxiety thing, too. Like, we have been clamoring for, like, a good Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, it's true. Like, that, like, you know, when he came into Spider-Man, Spider-Man was already established in Civil War. So, like, he was kind of able to use that mold, but he's going to be, like, he's the one responsible for bringing the Fantastic Four into the MCU. And, I mean, God, dude, how much expectation was there going into, like, no way home. It was all like it was almost like a stacked deck against them. Like if we didn't get this specific thing, it was not going to live up to the hype. And it almost seemed like an impossible task. And he fucking he delivered. I like it. Like if it is just you know anxiety, like good for you, man. Fucking take a break. Yeah, you, yeah. You fucking killed it with Spider Man. Don't give yourself any more pressure to make a Fantastic Four movie if you're feeling too much pressure or weight on it like man marvel's such a fucking marvel's such a machine like what what i what i what i like about this news is the fact that like if he wants out he deserves it i mean if if he doesn't want to do this movie he deserves it am i upset that he's leaving the project yes because i felt like it was in good hands especially after watching no way home i was like okay it's in good hands this guy can handle it this guy's good but the thing is, like, Marvel's such a fucking machine, Jake, that Kevin Feige can't pump the brakes on a Fantastic Four movie. They got to go full steam ahead. We got to find a new director. It's not like Kevin Feige's going to be like, no, this was our guy. We'll wait for our guy to make uh, this movie. Like, that's not how Marvel works. It's a fucking – they've got – you know, even right now, Kevin Feige said at CinemaCon after they showed like, you know, the Black Panther 2 footage. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But he's saying like, you know, now I'm going to go on a retreat and I'm going to figure out the next 10 years of the MCU. Like these are things like that need to be done. Like it's a machine. There's no time to stop. There's no time to wait for John Watts to be the director of this one. So I, I mean, I have no idea who they're going to have come in here and step in and John Krasinski direct. Yeah, I've seen that a rumor. Is that the rumor? John Krasinski? Yeah, that is the rumor that he's going to star and direct. I just, oh, I figured he was just going to be a variant in the interesting. Okay. Okay. I would, it's all, it's all rumor yeah. though. Like the people that are throwing it around aren't necessarily people that always have like the right scoops. Yeah. I know John Campia has been one of the people throwing that around a lot. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, you're exactly right, though. Like, it's the whole thing's a machine. Like, we've seen it happen in the comic world. Like, during Civil War, artists couldn't keep up on certain yeah. issues. And once that happened, they couldn't just release all these other issues. They actually had to postpone fucking comic books for weeks because one artist was holding everything up. And it's a little bit of the same situation here. Like, now on top of the movies... You have, you know, three, four, five TV shows a year as well, and everything kind of lines up, and it's all mapped out. So if, if one guy's not ready, they don't have time to let him take a fucking two-year sabbatical right. while, he, you know, while he gets the gumption up to make Fantastic Four. Like, they just have to move ahead with In a perfect it. world, is that what you want? Like, I would – in a perfect world, I would love to see John Watts's – Fantastic Four, and I'd be like, "Yeah, we, I'll wait for that if it's great." <laughs> and so, but we, that ain't gonna happen. 
I'll be a contrarian here and say um, I was fine with Watts directing this movie, and I agree with you that my attitude was it's in good hands. I love No Way Home. But, you know, honestly, it, it kind of excites me that we may, we may get a bigger name in here. Like, if it truly is John Krasinski doing it, then fucking A. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, I mean, there's – like, and I know he's more on the Star Wars side, but you have to think it ran past their minds. Like, let's talk to John Favreau. Like, he kind of brought in this whole Marvel universe. Let's see if he can do – the first family. Yeah, but they how got, much? Last how thing. busy is that guy with? I know the Mandalorian. Know. But see, I it, think they're gonna wow us with the name. I really think they are. I think there's more of a chance they're gonna wow us with who the new director of Fantastic Four is than they're gonna wow us with who the new director of Fast Ten is. Oh sure, yeah. We'll see. I mean, that's the thing about Marvel, though. It's like they're not opposed to just bringing in somebody that's just like, you know. <laughs> that that really doesn't have a lot of experience like somebody that just has done like an indie movie or something like you know james gunn was not the name that he was until he did guardians of the galaxy well, so. is there even yeah, a that's true. he had a cult following Sh- jake i mean no, yeah i'm just saying he, super and slither were pretty fucking popular like on a cult level yeah but that that, that, that there's a huge difference between that kind of you know that that following and then like doing a Marvel movie. I mean, they're relatively unknown to the mass public. James Gunn was not a known figure. No, I agree with you. I agree with you, but I put him on a little bit of a different level than like an Alan Taylor or a, a Mark Webb or, you know, even, even a Peyton Reed. Like, I think he did have a little bit of notoriety to him compared to those guys. Well, I mean, they had their, their, they had their, you know, Mark Webb had the, what was it? Like the, the teenage romance movie that, Oh, he did. He, yeah, he did 500 Days of Summer and a lot of people like that. I just think it's I think it's a different kind of fandom. I don't think you're going to get, you know, like super and like the trauma stuff. And that comes with a different kind of fandom than. Yeah, I think I, we, I think we agree. I think we're kind of arguing about nothing here. Sure. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they could pull I mean, they could pull a big name or they could pull a nobody. I really don't know. That's just Marvel. Marvel makes stars and Marvel can sometimes make directors. I mean, you know, Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, you know, were really nothing before <laughs> before they started doing the Marvel stuff. Marvel can make stars. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Chris Pratt's in that same boat, I would say, too. Sure, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Next story. Uh, Cosmic Circus. This is not a. This isn't a huge one. We don't have to t- spend too much time. Cosmic Circus had a rumor um, that uh, Man Thing was going to show up in Werewolf by Night. So basically, like Marvel's kind of like version of uh, Swamp Thing. Um, and they're saying that Man Thing is going to show up in Werewolf by Night. This is. It's not really a new rumor because I believe that. Um, there were reports on this before. I think they're just... Yeah, Screen Geek. Oh, it was Screen Geek. Uh, there was a previous report from Screen Geek that Man-Thing is getting his own special as well. So there, um, the Hollywood Reporter m- mentioned last month that Werewolf by Night may not be called that when it comes out later this year. If they are indeed making a yearly tradition out of it... Uh, under a specific banner for the Halloween specials, then this could certainly support the previous report from Screen Geek that Man-Thing is getting his own special as well. So it looks like um, Marvel might be doing, like, every every October or something, you know, for uh, for Halloween, they'll be coming out with a new kind of 
um, horror-themed one-shot. I love it. And, oh, uh, after Hours Media Report, they, were under, they uh, uncovered evidence that uh, Halloween Horror Nights is working with the Marvel production and specifically on Werewolf by Night. With that in mind, it's possible they are working on Man-Thing as well. Though I cannot confirm that at this time. I just know he will be at least partially animatronic. So, yeah, they're looking at making, uh, using some practical effects in this. That's cool. I I think it'd be really neat to tie these Halloween specials together, too. Like, it's only one episode, and obviously you want to focus mostly on Werewolf by Night. But I wouldn't be opposed to a uh, Man-Thing cameo. Yeah. I like the idea of titling the show like off of one of the old Marvel comics too, where like a strange tales or something. Yeah. If it's always going to be something every different, let's like get a banner for it. Yeah. I like that too. Even well, they did it kind of like with what if, you know? Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Or even the, I was, when you were talking, I was like, man, it'd be cool if they did like like a Marvel two in one show, like the comic where it was like in a half an hour or an hour, you got two shorts, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if we get Man Thing and the Werewolf by Night. That's coming. Is that coming out this year? Yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta Filming tweeted about the She Hulk series this week. It's a She Hulk rumor. They're filming at the Ideal Sports Bar today. This is where She Hulk filmed an '80s flashback. What? <laughs> That'll be wild. Interesting. So we might be getting it. What are they doing in the 80s? So like a childhood flashback or maybe of uh, but it's a sports bar. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. I could not guess what they're doing there. Yeah. Do you think the character becomes She-Hulk in the process of this series? Because everything we know about this show is it's kind of like a uh, superhero comedy set in court. Like, that seems like a wacky premise to also do her origin as well. Like, maybe the flashback is her origin. From the 80s? Yeah, I don't know. Being exposed to Gamma as a child? I thought that... It just seems like a lot to do to get to the courtroom comedy part where you have to also create She-Hulk. Maybe it's just a scene of, like, you know, um, a young Bruce and a young Jennifer. Yeah, I like that. But why would they be at a sports bar? <laughs> <laughs> they had a really shitty dad. I guess so. <laughs> uh, speaking of She-Hulk, uh, there's rumors on uh, the internet. They're out there that Kristen Ritter was wanted to return as Jessica Jones for She-Hulk, but they couldn't make it work. I'm all, But I'm hearing now that she will... I can't confirm this. Somebody, somebody followed up and said that they're hear, they're hearing that there's a chance that we're going to see her in the Echo series, and then someone else, another scooper, followed up and said more than a chance. Actually, like it's happening. Like we're like I can't confirm this, but they're saying yes. Kristen Ritter is going to come back as Jessica Jones in the Echo series. They wanted it for She Hulk, couldn't make it happen, but she is coming back for the Echo series. Hmm. Yeah, I, 
I just don't know what they're going to do with her beyond that. Like, I don't really care if it's just a cameo to prove she still exists in this universe. Like, I don't think there's, there's like, I think, I think if we're seeing these characters from the Netflix universe show up, I don't think they're just showing them as cameos. I think, like, they're picking which ones they want to come back. Like, I don't think we're getting Finn Jones back as um, mm-hmm. um, Iron just... Fist. But I do think that if they're going to show us Kristen Ritter, I think they have plans for her. Yeah, I would hope so. They definitely have plans for Charlie Cox and no, you know, and and, you know, I don't think that, you know, Kingpin's dead by any means. So they definitely have more plans for him. So we'll see. I think a lot of the a lot of the norms that don't really know the Marvel Universe, like, yes, they're going to want Daredevil. But how many of them are like? diehard jessica jones fans that give a shit whether or not she shows back up i think a lot of people and i think a a, a very large portion of the female audience enjoyed that jessica jones series and not even just you know female audiences i really loved that first season i thought it was fantastic yeah it was great it was great so i mean that first season brought a lot of goodwill for fans of the character so i think i think there's a chance i don't know man like after watching Moon Knight and the violence that we get on that show and it not living up to like what I felt Kevin Feige was kind of alluding to, I don't, I don't want to see a watered-down version of Daredevil or Jessica Jones now if that's the way they're going to go with this. Because, I don't know, like, for as good as Moon Knight is, like, the, the violence is just not even close <laughs> to the level that we got in the Daredevil series, so... I don't know. No, it's not even the most violent thing we've seen in the MCU. So. Well, even the most violent stuff in the MCU, they they kind of pull their punches. It's not like we saw fucking, you know, you know, uh, uh, fuck it. What's his name? Walker. Um, Decapitate a guy with a shield. We didn't see his fucking head come off. No, true. I I get that. I, I'm not saying it. Can, I agree with you. Like the Daredevil and Netflix stuff is never going to hit that level until they make some really huge creative changes in the way they do things that the Netflix did. So yeah, it's kind of who wants to see that. Like I, I'm more into Daredevil's again though is a character that you can easily incorporate him into other people's storylines, and it's not like you're going to miss it as much. Where it's like I just don't see what what they're going to do with Jessica Jones, like to make me care about her outside of a Jessica Jones series. Like, where is she going to fit into all this? We'll find out. Won't so, we? If it's yeah. true. So. Uh, I like the idea of her being in she Hulk more than echo though. I think it would be more fun to have her like on one side of the court case than it is mm-hmm. to throw her into the echo universe. Well, yeah, with her being a private detective and all. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 has been pushed out another year. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, big sads. <laughs> looks like people that attended CinemaCon were treated to the first 15 minutes of the movie. Um, I'm hearing it was uh, not 100% done. Like, it was a pretty rough cut, so not all the art was was done here. Eric, Fan, uh, Eric Davis of Fandango tweeted, uh, Wow, the first 15 minutes of Across the Spider-Verse is amazing. Opens with an insane fight against Vulture in Spider-Gwen's universe. She is joined by Oscar Isaac's Miguel O'Hara and Issa Rae's Jessica Drew, who is five months pregnant and kicking ass. Looks so good, folks. 
what was impressive about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse footage was how the action was big and wild and incredibly unique. But also they managed to di- dive deep into an emotional moment between Spider-Gwen and her cop dad. The amount of heart they eke out of 15 minutes. My God. It's basically like, what, I, I don't know if you guys really dug into like what happened in the footage that they showed. But I guess from like the last movie, there's like a pinhole that's been created. Um, and so the universes, universes are not shut off from one another. So like there's ways to access the multiverse and get into these other universes. And uh, Oscar Isaacs Miguel shows up um, in, in Spider-Gwen's universe and helps her fight the Vulture. And then at that point, I think they, I think Jessica Drew wants to, no, is it, one of the characters is like totally against her joining them to help them. Um, and then it goes into a scene where Spider Gwen is fighting someone in a building. I'm, oh God! If you guys know the footage, please cut me off and tell me what I'm doing wrong here. Because no, I didn't see it. The footage like this. Did I? All I know is that there is a scene between Spider Gwen being cornered by her her dad, who's a cop, and him trying to bring Spider Gwen in. And she unmasks herself and she's like, dad, you know, you know, I'm not I'm not like this killer vigilante. I'm your daughter. This is what really happened. And him being, you know, a man of. I guess, you know, even though it's his daughter, he's trying to uphold the law. And so he's still going to bring her in and arrest her. And so I guess that's kind of like where the footage kind of ended, I suppose. So. Yeah, that is emotional. I, I could see that being like, woof. It's like your own daughter, and you got to fucking slap the cuffs on her. So. so that's cool that it opens in the multiverse, though, before even running into Miles. Yeah. I don't know if they got to see any of Miles in this. I'm not 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, it sounds like no. Yeah. Yeah, it just sucks that we're going to have to wait another year, and then the the second part comes out the year after. I really thought we were going to be watching this, I think. Was it June it was slated for? Yeah, I was super excited for it. I mean, the first one is one of my all-time favorite comic book movies ever made, so I'm really excited for the sequel. So, yeah, this news really saddened me when I read it. Yeah, Paul, were you a big fan of the first one? Oh, I love that movie. We had a fun time seeing it in the theater, but yeah, it, it sucks, but man, you know... It's going to be worth the wait, I'm sure. So, but yeah, bummer to not see it sooner rather than later. I think, God, I, I want them to re-release the first one in the theater again in 3D just so I can watch it oh, again. Oh, that'd be fucking cool. I would go tomorrow. Yeah. If I knew that they were showing it tomorrow, I'd go tomorrow. Yeah, maybe they will. Like, you know, six months before the uh, new one comes out, especially with the delay. Yeah. That'd be nice if they did that. That'd be awesome. In other news from CinemaCon, we're getting an El Muerto movie from Sony set in the SSU, the Sony Spider-Man universe. El Muerto will be played by rapper Bad Bunny. Um, I thought this might have been a a late April Fool's Day joke because I had no idea who Bad Bunny is before I read this article. (laughs) I am not familiar with this artist. 
And um, I guess, and Jake, are you familiar with El Morto? The character? I'm not. No, I'm not at all. I, I thought maybe it was supposed to be like the wrestler that fought Peter Parker it's, during his origin was what they were doing. In the comics, Diego de la Muerta is abducted and sacrificed to the Aztec gods of death, but he later returns to Earth with superpowers and becomes El Muerto, a.k.a. the Dead One. The character is also known as the Aztec Zombie and was previously played by Wilmer Valderrama in the 2007 live-action film. What movie was that? I have no idea, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Details about the El Muerto movie have not been revealed, and the project has not yet been given an official release date. Yeah. Paul, are you familiar with the character at all? Not at all. Yeah. Even a little bit. A lot of people are like, okay, so... you. They're like, why don't, why, why, why are the, why are, a lot of people online on Twitter are just really upset about the fact that, you know, uh, these are the movies that we're getting. We're getting Morbius and we're getting a Craven movie and an El Morto movie. And it's like, Madam Web. (laughs) Madam Web. People are basically like, okay, if you wanted, you know, if you wanted to have a Latino character, why don't just give us, you know, Spider-Man 2099. Makes a lot of sense. And they're like, why are you giving us El Muerto? So, I don't know. I, have, I don't know what they're doing over there at Sony. I don't know who's asking for this. I'd never even heard of the character before, Jake. I'm sorry, I just never heard of the character. Yeah, I'm kind of reading up on that now. It was created in 2006 by Peter David in an issue of Friendly Neighborhood of Spider-Man. And that's a comic I never really read too much of. Um, It was separated enough from the Spider-Man lore that I could save four bucks a month and not read it. So I didn't. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Bad Bunny, maybe he just has this much pull. Like, he's won multiple Grammys. He is really one of the top-selling artists around the world. Maybe he has enough pull where he said... I want to be a superhero in a, in a movie. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's exec producing this thing. He's fucking, these fucking like even Marvel. I, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't know who the fuck Harry Styles was. And they're fucking, he's in a fucking Eternals movie at the end of that fucking thing. I don't know who any of these fucking new artists are. Jake. I mean, at least <laughs> Styles had a little bit of acting chops before all that. Like, we haven't seen Bad Bunny in shit. Like, at least Styles was in a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Bizarre. Paul, are you looking forward to the El Muerto movie? Not at all. What <laughs> <laughs> Wilbur Valderrama was in was called The Dead One. From 2007, I don't know. It sounds shitty. So no, I'm not. I'm I'm not at all, and I don't care about Bad Bunny. Yeah. Besides this one WrestleMania match. Um, that's about. That's the only reason I know him. Other than that, no, I I don't care about this at all. I thought it was an. I thought it was an April like an eight late April Fool's Day story. I had no idea. I was like, this is oh, this is coming out of CinemaCon. This is real. Brian's reading from the Onion again. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite Reddit subreddits is uh, Not the Onion, which will give you a headline that sounds like it's from the Onion, but it's not the Onion, and it's actually real. Oh, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got some possible leaks here from 4chan on the SSU, the Sony Spider-Man universe of movies. There are some leaks here on 4chan. I can't confirm if these are true or not, but I've got leaks here for Craven, Madam Web, Venom 3, Spider-Woman, Silver Sable, Nightwatch, and possible crossovers. You guys interested in these at all? Not really. You didn't miss <laughs> Elmerto. <laughs> all right, fine. I won't read them. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, I guess we're moving on then. There goes about twenty minutes. Yeah, are you serious? You don't want to hear anything about like what? I I I was completely making a joke at Elmerto's expense. You don't need to do that to Elmerto. Elmerto does that all by himself, Jake. <laughs> all right, Elmerto doesn't need any help from Jake. I can promise you that. <laughs> well, What's the acronym again? Did you call it the SSU? It's, Sony Spider-Man Universe? It's officially right. called the SSU, the Sony Spider-Man Universe. I'm into it. Not the universe, but the acronym. All right, this is what they're saying about uh, the Craven movie. The movie is about Craven being cr- recruited by Calypso to prevent corrupt magnate Gregory Hurd from performing The Gathering of the Five. Heard recruits the foreigner and the chameleon to stop Craven, and Craven later learns that the chameleon is his brother, and their father Nikolai Kravinov is the real villain and Heard's boss. Calypso also works for Nikolai and manipulated Craven so Nikolai could sacrifice him in the ritual, but she falls in love with Craven and helps him fight Nikolai. Isn't it? This sounds amazing, doesn't it? That sounds fucking terrible. There's like eight aspects of that that sound terrible. Like <laughs> one, I can't believe that they're gonna reach into the Gathering of the Five. Like that's like next to the Clone Saga, one of the most legendary. <laughs> terrible storylines in Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and two, I fucking hate Calypso. It no-sells Craven so much. It's always, oh, Craven is under Calypso's trance, and that's why he's doing what he's doing, or Calypso's manipulating him to do this or that. Like, if Craven's a success, then sure, bring her in for Craven too. But it's a little bit disheartening to know from the jump Craven's going to be manipulated by the Calypso character. Oh, I hate that character. Yeah, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is Craven. Ariana DeBose is Calypso. Russell Crowe is Nikolai. Fred Heckinger is the Chameleon. Christopher Abbott is the Foreigner, and Alessandro Nivola is Heard. So that's what we have there for the Craven movie. Which and, and to waste Chameleon like that—that that was another thing that I quickly thought of when you read that off. Like, ah. Don't even let us know Chameleon is in the movie. Like, that should be like an end of the movie reveal type thing where we're all just like, oh, shit, you know? Like, oh, what a way to ruin such a legendary Spider-Man character. Have you guys seen the leaked photos of Aaron Taylor Taylor Johnson as Craven? I have. Yeah. Paul, did you see him? Yeah, I did. Paul, are you awake? I gotta, ch- I gotta check on you, man. Uh, shut up! I'm here. No. no, 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 no. <laughs> Paul, this is a thing now. All right. No, 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 you, you got me looking at fucking not onion over here. <laughs> Paul, we're doing a podcast, dude. You could, you could go ahead and join that subreddit, and you can fuck around with that later. I'm gonna do it. I, I, I don't know. No, for now, you gotta suffer through the SSU leaks. All right. No, I <laughs> 
I did see the picture. But I don't know anything about the people you were talking. Like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with like the chameleon and the fucking five unnamed people or whatever. Paul's like, hey, if you need me, I'm going to be over here in Reddit, not the onion. Okay. I'm sorry. I got a little distracted that U.S. Army replaces cake they stole in 1945 from Italian girl. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, it's not you, man. Paul, minimize the window. It's done. It's Minimize done. the window. You got to suffer through this to... bullshit with us. We're going to be. I'm happy to report I'm awake, though. All right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't heard of the chameleon, Paul. I, yeah. I, he's like in issue number one, I believe. I could be wrong about that. It's within the first four issues of Amazing Spider-Man. They introduce him and he. Yeah, I've always thought of him as one of the bigger yeah. Spider-Man rogues they haven't used yet. I don't – yeah, I'd, I'm not 100% familiar. The one thing, though, that I do want back from Spider-Man, and it's because I've been watching a lot of Better Call Saul, I want Michael Mando to come back as Scorpion. They teased him in Homecoming, and that was it. Yeah, that was always the thing. There was the, the rumor there that he was going to come back and be part of the – you know, like a, like an official Sinister Six for No Way Home. Which never gave us a Sinister Six. So, but there was the rumor that he was going to, you know, but nobody could confirm that. But yeah, are we ever going to see that character again? I, I love the know. actor. I love the fucking actor. So, I don't, I haven't watched Better Call Saul yet. I'm waiting until it's all completed, just like I did with Breaking Bad when I just fucking blazed through that shit. The so. final season just started. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's completed, man, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be fucking blazing through Better Call Saul. It, in my opinion, better than Breaking Bad. That's a lot of people are saying that, too. A lot of people in are saying opinion, that. Like, I do have one – and it, it's not a spoiler. It's just like this happens before Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And now in this final season, like, man, dude, they all look 20 years older than sure. they do when they first come back in uh, Breaking oh, yeah. Bad. Aaron Paul, there's no way – unless you do de-aging – there's no way to make because I know he's coming back in this second half. Yeah. Like it's been all well, over the internet. And the guy that plays Mike Ermtrout, Jonathan Banks, he looks like he's ready to die in this. Well, and I just rewatched it, Breaking Bad, and he looked he looked so much younger and healthier. And well, Jesse and Plemons that. when he did the Breaking Bad movie, the the Aaron yeah. Paul movie, like he had you know he'd put on some weight since his character on Breaking Bad, and it was kind of you just had to like. You know, be like, okay, yeah, suspend belief, yeah, yeah, suspend belief there. Um, Madam Web. The movie is about Julia Carpenter meeting Cassandra Web and learning she is the next Madam Web and must protect the avatar of the Web of Life from a mysterious serial killer. The killer turns out to be Web's daughter, Charlotte Witter, who wants to steal the avatar's power for herself. Julia must learn how to control her powers to fight Charlotte and protect the avatar. Teenager Anya Corozon. Dakota Johnson is Julia. Sydney Sweeney is Charlotte. And Vera Farmiga is in final talks for Cassandra. Sony wants Jenna Ortega for Anya and is eyeing Scott Eastwood, Moses Ingram, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan for supporting roles. So that's oh. your Madam Web movie. Oh boy. I, I don't think there's anything in the SSU I care about less than Madam Web. Like. <laughs> I would love to see a trailer and eat crow and be all of a sudden excited, but oh my gosh. Is this the what Olivia Wilde is doing? Yeah, I think so. 
I think so. I think so. Is that correct? Huh. Yeah. If anything, it'll just be like a good coming of age story for like you know tween and teenage girls to go watch in the theater. I know Hazel would be all about that. If she did good with, I know it was rated R, but Booksmart was good. I don't know if she's involved in this at all. Paul. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up too. I don't see anything. I thought Olivia Rumor like Spider-Man's okay. Here, I found something. S.J. Clarkson is on board to direct. Well, CBR had an article. This is fun. This is always fun for people to listen to. Yeah, Google the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Spider Woman. She's rumored to do Spider Woman. Spider Woman. Yeah, that's true. She's rumored to do Spider Woman. Okay. Yeah, S.J. Clarkson is doing Madam Web for sure. Venom 3, uh, the movie is in active development for a 2024 release with Andy Serkis as the director. Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Reed Scott, and Stephen Graham will return. Patrick Mulligan will become Toxin, but will be a rival vigilante rather than the main villain. The plot features Venom and Toxin being hunted by the government and having to join forces to fight the Xenophage, a genetically engineered symbiote killer that goes rogue. So here's the deal in Venom Three. Toxin. Yeah. Well, well here's I mean, no. Here's not, the, no. 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 Toxin's okay. not the main villain. Okay. Toxin. Toxin. Toxin and Venom. Uh, they're. He's a rival vigilante, and the government creates. They might have a run in or two, Jake, but he's not the main villain. The government creates a. Uh, um, a, a genetically engineered symbiote killer that they're using to hunt uh, fucking uh, toxin and venom. And then that symbiote killer, Xenophage, goes rogue and starts probably attacking the government and everybody and people and shit. And so now who do they turn to? Venom and toxin to take out Xenophage. Oh, the irony. So that's what the movie's going to be. It's kind of it's it's like uh, fucking uh, the first Incredible Hulk movie. You know, we're fucking, mm-hmm. you know, the government uses uh, abomination and abomination goes fucking crazy. And then Hulk's got to fucking take him out. Yeah, And that's very similar to how they dealt with that in the comics, too. So government's always after Hulk and then Hulk's the one always saving their fucking ass. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I like that aspect of it. At this point, why don't they use anti-venom? Like if you're going to go just to wow people like that's the image i think people want to see is the the black venom and the inverted venom like going at each other yeah that'd be cool Um, i hope venom 3 continues the trend of every venom movie being half as long as the one before it though oh yeah so finally it's just venom is 15 minutes yeah 45 (laughs) yeah venom 5 is 15 minutes long Spider-Woman, this movie is an active development for a 2024 release with Olivia Wilde as the director. The plot features Jessica Drew developing spider-like powers as a child due to a serum created by her father and being captured by a criminal organization that tries to turn her into a weapon. Jessica manages to escape and lead a peaceful life until the organization locates her, forcing Jessica to join forces with a government agent to take them down. Sony wants Anna de Armas as Jessica Drew and is eyeing Rebecca Ferguson for the lead villain. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. 
they couldn't be eyeing two better actors there. My, I, Rebecca Ferguson's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm more interested in Spider-Woman than I am Madam Web. I mean, that's a character I do have a lot of love for that I've read for a really long time. So I, I think that would be really cool. It, it worries me that something like a Madam Web dilutes the excitement that you would get by doing a Spider-Woman, though. Yeah. I <laughs> they are really I just I'm looking at all these movies and I'm just seeing a string of Morbiuses. I know, I know. I I'm reading now that Marvel just announced a Stegron the Dinosaur Man movie in the SSU. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh can we get a can we get a Peter Porker movie? Can we just get a fucking Spider Ham movie? Yeah, for sure. What about Stiltman? That's another real fucking D-list fucking Spider-Man villain. Uh, is Stiltman, is he considered Spider-Man or is was he, I mean, I've seen him in Daredevil comics as well. Yeah, that's true. I think they used him in Daredevil more later, but he definitely started in Spider-Man because him and Frogman always teamed up to fight Spider-Man. Let's see. I'm done with these. There's a Silver Sable movie. I'm done. I'm done reading these. Oh, the Silver Sable movie feels like it's never going to happen, right? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. And then there's the Night Watch movie as well. So. Oh, that's like. I really always liked that character. Are we talking about the character from the New Warriors? Night Watch? Night Thrasher. I'm sorry. Night Watch. This has been one that they they talked about. Years ago, right? I feel like a couple years ago they were talking about a Night Watch movie. Yeah, he's the Spawn ripoff. Character. Yes. Yeah. Oh God! Totally. He like literally looks exactly. Totally like looks like Spawn. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do a, do a Google search on Night Watch. It's it is basically Spawn Light. Yeah, Todd McFarlane is getting his lawyers ready. No <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, crossovers. I will read this one. Sony wants a Sinister Six multiverse crossover film where Tom Holland fights Michael Keaton, Tom Hardy, Jared Leto, and others, but it is in the very early stages of development and will be unconnected to Marvel's next Spider-Man project with Holland. Sony plans to introduce their Spider-Man into the... Uh, now they're calling it the SPUMC? What the fuck is that? No, what does that stand They're wrong. It's the SSU. Uh, they approached Andrew Garfield, but he declined. So there have been talks about setting the films in his universe, but having him retire so he doesn't have to appear. So, yeah, that makes sense with Andrew Garfield. Just I, And I got this news before the whole Andrew Garfield taking a break news. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I thought the same thing when you read that, that that lines yeah. up with what Garfield's got going on. So they're going to have it set in the same universe, but have him retire... Well, what's the point in fucking doing what's it? What's the fucking Because we all fucking loved Andrew Garfield so much in that movie, then why fucking do it? Nobody wants to see some fucking knockoff Spider-Man. No one wants to see knockoff Spider-Man's greatest villains either. Like, we already saw... It, it wasn't officially the Sinister Six in No Way Home, but you're not going to find... a greater group of adversaries for spider-man spread across a bunch of movies than you found there like it's going to be laughably bad compared to that oh is the spumc the universe that andrew garfield's in and the ssu is i don't i can't keep this straight jake god (laughs) no that makes sense that makes sense i don't know what it stands for are they having tom holland are they having tom holland cross over into andrew garfield's universe to fight them 
I think he has to. I think that's the only way they can do it because they've already established that Venom isn't in the MCU. So I, I and Morbius is in that universe. So I think that's the only way they can do it. They said Sony wants a Sinister Six multiverse crossover film. Well, Tom Holland fights Michael Keaton and all them. They said they approached Andrew Garfield. He declined. Wait, wait. Oh, this is a separate story altogether. Sony plans to introduce their own Spider-Man to the SPUMC. So they're going to have another another universe? Like the like the Secret Wars battleground where they just go to fight the Sinister Six. This makes no sense. It's like they wanted to have Andrew Garfield. I mean, did you see the Morbius post-credit sequence? I don't think making sense is part of the agenda. I don't. Yeah. Oh my god! It gives me <laughs> no. This is seriously giving me a fucking headache trying to figure this shit out. It is a fucking mess over there. It's like it's like they have their Kevin Feige, but it's the Kevin Feige in that movie Multiplicity where every time you clone Michael Keaton, he gets dumber. And so like <laughs> they've got like the dumbest version of Kevin Feige handling their universe right now. Yeah, that's that's fucking crazy. Um yeah, it's, I think they're just too – they have tunnel vision on this fucking Sinister Six shit. Like concentrate on making good, awesome movies – and then naturally get to the Sinister Six. And at that point, people will actually be hyped for it. It's like the same mistake they made with Justice League, basically. Like, the the end goal is too much the end goal, and they're not really worried about getting there as long as they get there. I hope these continue to bomb. I mean, I don't want Tom Hardy's movie to fucking bomb. I mean, I, I want... I, lo- I love Tom Hardy. I'm a fan. But as far as any of these other movies are concerned, I don't care one fucking bit. And I feel like Tom Hardy would survive the SSU apocalypse if that were to happen. Like if Sony were to pull the plug, I think yeah. Tom Hardy would survive on the other side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so and we know Sony will pull the fucking plug if the shit bombs. If they've done it before, <laughs> they'll do it again. Oh, man. Uh, news from the direct. First Black Panther 2 footage released at CinemaCon. Um, it was shown exclusively. It was a, uh, shown exclusively to attendees, which featured first footage of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, Fandango's Eric Davis described the footage as featuring a prominent shot of Nakia, Shuri, and Okoye on the front line of a major battle. Many will be disappointed to hear the first footage from the Black Panther sequel was shown privately, but it doesn't appear much was shown. Namor and the Atlanteans were completely absent from the sneak peek, even though that's likely who the trio of female Wakandan warriors were preparing to face off against in this battle. Feige also confirmed that it will come out this year in November. So, yeah, um, not a lot to talk about there. Nope prepping up for a battle against probably namor um would be cool to see that footage though like even seeing the the costume designs on those characters like what they look like getting ready for battle would be neat yeah um people are still like there's a lot of people still like confused like who's going to be the next black panther and i and I do think that I do think that we will get shots of. Don't you think that I think we're going to get shots of Shuri in the suit for this one? I, but I do think by the end of this, it's going to be uh, Winston Dukes and Baku is going to be the Black Panther going forward for a yeah, while. Do you, think, 
do you think Marvel plans on playing into that confusion? Like, is who is going to be the next Black Panther going to be a selling point of this movie, or is it going to be thrown out there on the, on a magazine cover? I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you keep that a uh, a secret until you get into the movie. Yeah, I don't know how you can show black. Secret to keep. I don't know how you can show trailers for a Black Panther movie without showing Black Panther. Yeah, I mean, the movie could be written in that way, too, where multiple characters throughout the movie at one point or another take up the mantle. And it would be really easy to cut a trailer where it's like, is it this character? Is it that character? I don't know. I I think that if I had to guess, Jake, I think a lot of the movie Shuri is going to be the Black Panther. And I think that they kind of like wrote it into the very end that M'Baku is going to be the guy going forward for a while. If I had to guess, I could be if totally that's the wrong. Case, though, it would make me like, I think that's very likely. But I think at that point, they would advertise that Shuri is the next Black Panther. And the Umbaku thing would be a twist. Oh, uh, they're not giving that away. I'm just saying that when we see the trailers, we're seeing a Black Panther. And we're going to know that it's that it's going to be Shuri going into the movie. Or, I, I mean, maybe they'll keep it... I, what do you think, Paul? Can they keep it a secret as to which one of these female leads is going to be the Black Panther until you actually go into the movie? Because, like, I think you could look... Shuri's very... I mean, even with a suit on, she's super thin. I mean... And I don't... Like... I don't... <laughs> am I making sense? Is that... Mm-hmm. Is that what we're talking yeah. about here? Is it going to be... I don't know. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> We're talking about whether or not they're going to hide the identity of the new Black Panther before the movie comes out. I don't think you can. I, I mean, can you? I mean, I, you feel like you'd have to get a shot with Black Panther fighting alongside a Koye or somebody, and you just know that it was Shuri. I think that they'd want to, like, show people that it was Shuri as the Black Panther, but I don't think she's going to be a Black Panther going forward after everything I've heard. I've heard it's going to be M'Baku. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be I Shuri fe- either. I, I've heard that they wanted her to be the Black Panther going forward, but since there's all this kind of like nonsense going on behind the scenes with the actor of Letitia Wright, that they kind of like nixed that and they're like, okay, M'Baku's going to be the Black Panther going forward for a while. That's that's from every rumor, every leak that I've ever heard. That's what I've heard. Same. Yeah, I've heard exactly the same. But I don't know how you show trailers with us trying to guess who. It'll be interesting if they can pull that off, if there's a way that you can show us the trailers without us knowing who the Black Panther is. Yeah, if they can pull it off, I think that would be very cool. Would be. I love the idea of a poster with the fucking question mark on it. Like, really fucking lean into that shit. That would be awesome. You gotta, under, you gotta, you gotta know that the new suit's gonna be able to do some new and different things too. Oh yeah, that, that's a given. It's just, oh, especially with Shuri being involved, and we know that we're gonna get Riri Williams in the in the movie. As Ironheart, that's going to be her first appearance. Do you think that they'll show? You know what question I have for you? Is, I and mean, I've stayed away from the Doctor Strange TV spots lately because we're so close. 
But, you know, one of the rumors out there was that they had to reshoot a lot of stuff with the actor that plays America Chavez because she didn't test well with audiences at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed we haven't gotten a lot of her in the trailers, like a lot of dialogue or anything? I mean, she has talked in the trailers, but not a lot. They've really pulled pulled back on her a lot. Like she's like she's not at the forefront of these trailers that I've seen. Yeah, I think that's just a decision because it's a character no one's familiar with. It's not going to, for the most part, increase ticket sales by showing her. I'm crossing my fingers that they're just saving all that stuff for the movie. But it is scary knowing about the reshoots. Yeah. Man, this Black Panther movie is going to be interesting when we get the first trailer. We should be getting a... I would think we're going to get a trailer. Hopefully. What do you think? The movie's slated to come out in November. I would say by August at the latest. Yeah, August. Yeah, I think we talked about that before. We were thinking August. Uh, Paul, who do you want to be the next Black Panther? I want to be a Baku. Winston Duke. I kept thinking about it at first, and I was like, man, he's too big. And then I was like, man, that'd be kind of cool to see a big fucking, you know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, kind of like the difference of seeing, like, you know, Christian Bale's Batman, and then you get into, like, Ben Affleck's Batman, who is bigger, you know? So, yeah, yeah, man, seeing, like, a very imposing Black Panther of (laughs) uh, Winston Duke's size would be interesting. So, that fucking dude's sprinting at you. Jesus. Oh, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see here. Let's move on into DC News. That's all I got. Last night, Batman destroyed my vagina. And now the leftovers are going to destroy DC News. It's time for DC News, you fucking pieces of shit. I don't know why that was only playing out of one fucking speaker. That was weird. I couldn't hear it at all. I didn't hear it at all. You guys will live. It's the same DC bumper I've been playing for the past fucking seven years or so. Anyway. Uh, Man of Steel villain returns in The Flash. Will Henry Cavill's Superman also appear? Um, <laughs> a new trailer for Ezra Miller's The Flash has raised new question about Henry Cavill's return thanks to a resurrection of a rather infamous Man of Steel villain. According to Scott Mendelson, the Flash teaser revealed CinemaCon 2022 actually included a glimpse of the Superman villain General Zod. His tweet read, The Flash tease features Michael Keaton in full Batman attire and brief glimpses of Supergirl and Zod. Uh, Zod was last seen in Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, where he played, where he was played by Michael Shannon and served as the primary antagonist to Henry Cavill's Superman. His death at the hands of the iconic hero was the source of considerable fan controversy, since Shannon Zod is back in the Flash, as is Ben Affleck's Batman, who appeared alongside Cavill in 2016's Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice in both Justice League films. Does the same go for Cavill's Superman? Uh, my time to shine. Hello. Uh, Big Time Scooper on Twitter said no. And um, so with the Flash movie, we're all assuming that um, it's going to be uh, trying to like retcon slash erase the Snyderverse. 
And here's what I've seen on Twitter this week. And I don't know if this clears anything up, actually, but this is what I've seen. Uh, Flash Film News posted a tweet with a quote from a writer at Burnett RM who said, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is being represented in this movie, and I'm so there for it. My Time to Shine Hello responded to that tweet saying, except the Man of Steel himself isn't in it, and the purpose of this movie is to erase it and other Snyder movies from the new main DCEU. To which Flash Film News responded, separate universe slash timeline. The movie explicitly confirms it's not erased. The movie's purpose isn't to erase any timelines, but to blow open multiverse in a way that eliminates dependency on any single timeline. And My Time to Shine Hello responded to that and said, fancy word for excuse, fancy word or excuse to remove it from the equation. Yeah, I lean towards what My Time to Shine Hello is saying. Yeah, they're doing it politely. They're leaving a little bit of an escape hatch open in case they ever wanted to dip their toes into, into that pool again. But at the end of the day, this is pushing that aside to move something else forward. It's not a they're not blowing open the universe so they can make movies from every different, you know, <laughs> multiverse reality. Like I no, they're just they've got Michael Shannon back so they can have at least a main principal actor from Man of Steel in it to represent that, you know, being its own thing. And other than that, that's it. I to me, there's zero chance we see Cavill in this movie and less than 10% chance we see Cavill back at all. Oh, I don't think there's any question from anybody if we're going to see Cavill in this movie. I, that's 100% not happening. I think, like, the biggest thing here, and I, I agree with you, It's my I agree with My Time to Shine Hello, is basically it's like you can – you can say that it's a separate universe and timeline and they're not erasing the Snyderverse and, and it's just blowing up the, the, it's blowing open the multiverse and they're not relying on any single timeline. That's, I agree with my time. It's a fancy way to basically say that, yes, they're picking and choosing what works and what doesn't. And in my honest opinion, I feel like Cavill could have worked if they would have got a, you know, somebody else in there to, I think Cavill's. I think Cavill could have worked, but I just think they're done with the Superman angle for now. And we're going to be looking at Supergirl and and um, I I don't know. It, it, DCEU is so fucked up right now, especially with what Ezra Miller is going through. I don't. I don't know. It is so fucked up. It's a fucking mess over there. That's insane. You're really low, Paul. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> there you are. There's my guy. There we go. Yeah, perked up a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy that the headline guy of this Flash movie that's set to write the DCEU is going through all this stuff. Like the, DC, the, the Warner Brothers executives have to be just headbutting walls at this point, right? Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I mean... For all the people that are saying, like, reshoot it with a different actor, I, I just don't know how you do that now. Yeah, you have to have a principal actor from the original DCEU for the whole premise of what they're trying to do here make any sense whatsoever. Like, you can't bring all these actors back from their respective universes to meet this guy that's been recast. 
Like, that just makes... Why even make the movie at that point? It's a fucking mess. It's all a fucking mess. It's all a fucking mess. And it sucks. It really fucking sucks. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I was looking forward to seeing the whole Keaton thing. But now it's like, oh my gosh, what did this guy sign up for? I mean... Oh, oh, I'm still excited to see Keaton. I, I'm still excited to see two Batman on the screen. You know, you know. I, I hope Warner Brothers washes their hands clean of fucking Ezra Miller, but I'm still excited to see. And it doesn't mean the movie's not going to be good. It just means that El- Ezra Miller's a prick. That's all it means. You yeah, know. for sure. He did. He's not writing or directing this dumb shit. Yeah. Um. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. This comes from comicbook.com. Uh, Shazam! Fury of the Gods footage reveals Wonder Woman cameo. So the exclusive CinemaCon, uh, CinemaCon footage begins with Shazam at a fancy restaurant in Paris. His date is Wonder Woman, though her face is out of frame, similar to Superman's appearance in the first Shazam. Shazam goes for a kiss, which Wonder Woman does not reciprocate. She gets up to leave the table, turning her back on Shazam, but the hero tries to smooth things over. As he leans in, uh, Wonder Woman turns around, revealing not Gal Gadot's face, but that of the wizard Shazam, Jaiman Hansu, on Wonder Woman's body. Cut to teenager Billy Batson waking up in his bed, revealing the entire scene was a dream. That's fun. That's a fun cameo. Uh, the yeah. Shazam sequel sees the Shazam family going up against the Daughters of Atlas, played by Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu. The plot involves the weakening barrier between the mundane and magical worlds. So that's what we're looking forward to in Shazam Fury of the Gods. Did they show any Black Adam footage? I do not believe so. I didn't hear a peep about Black Adam. I love this silence right now. No, I lo- the dead silence is fucking dope on the on this episode. <laughs> I love it, man. That's good shit, man. That's good podcasting right there. That's like, that's real. That's real. That's why people come here. They're like, oh fuck, man. This this guy doesn't edit out anything. He keeps those fucking awkward as fuck silences in this podcast. I love that. What a fucking decision. Um. <laughs> CinemaCon footage of Dwayne Johnson's DCEU Black... Okay, yeah, it did. They did. Dwayne Johnson's DCEU Antiheroes Unleashed in Black Adam CinemaCon footage. So they did show... As reported by Screen Rant, who uh, attended the event, Warner Brothers teased an in-attendance audience members with a better look at the highly anticipated superhero blockbuster... The footage features Black Adam as a slave before he's reborn as a god with the electrifying anti-hero declaring that he kneels before no one. Uh, Dr. Fate is heard saying, I've seen the future. Either you will destroy this world or be its savior. Black Adam is later shown in a desert where he catches a missile that explodes in his hands, leaving him uninjured but angry. His rage is further demonstrated when an unknown voice later says to him, heroes don't kill people, to which he replies, well, I do. Black Adam then proceeds to punch someone so hard the person flies into the air, disappears, and dies. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. What's he talking about? All the DCEU people fucking kill people. He's he's not special. (laughs) Oh, Jake. He just... All right. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, ScreenRound also notes that the CinemaCon footage features significant appearances from the Justice Society of America. Adam Smasher is shown in his giant form 
while Cyclone is highlighted in some inside some kind of ship. There it goes. There you go. The, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm done. All right. I'm done. My cat just... What's up? Oh, the cat. I was wondering what was going on. Oh, my God. Knocked over a cat tower. I'm done. Um... <laughs> you said cyclone. That was the Q word. <laughs> Whew. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Read up on that CinemaCon footage. Just uh, read up on it on your own because I am... <laughs> fucking done this week <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness next week looking forward to it can't wait to report on that Jake this episode was a disaster Jesus Christ yeah it, I it, usually try to play devil's advocate when you put that kind of thing out there but I'm just going to co-sign disaster here bottom five bottom five for this one I agree I agree I agree <laughs> Paul almost fell asleep again I did not <laughs> 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 holy hell yeah guys um go ahead hit that unsubscribe button i don't blame you <laughs> yeah we deserve it for this one i so that's what, just, i expect download numbers to plummet after this one just walk oh god just walk away just walk away all right i don't blame you I would. Yeah, this is the moment we had a bad face reaction to the to the spray and that uh I love you for that episode where all their numbers just dropped after that moment. Yeah. This is, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Paul, I think you might have just saved the episode there with that anecdote. (laughs) Oh, man. That's what we needed was, and I love you for that callback. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm I'm so glad I went against my instincts and went with that joke. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you you really pulled really the episode really pulled the episode together there, Paul. Thank you. Stuck the landing on that one. Yeah, I, I'm bottom ten now. I think we just we just did a little bit better there. I don't, Jake. I honestly think this might be <laughs> one of the, this is this is one of the worst episodes we've ever done. It's the worst <laughs> of all time. Oh, it's man. not the worst of all time. There's there's one episode that will never be surpassed as the worst episode. It is not. So this one did not surpass that one. But, uh, yeah, this one was pretty... I agree. I agree. I agree. This one's pretty bad, though. This one's trash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed the SSU stuff. Oh, yeah. And you... Yeah, yeah. And then, and then I, I, and then all your digs at the DCEU. You never, you never just let them slide. You just gotta go. You always gotta dig. Saying, like you always gotta dig. About the controversy about what happens to Zod, and you, you got this guy pretending like none of the DCEU people kill people. Like they literally made big business off the fact that they do. It's a scene in the movie where a character says that heroes don't kill, and he says, "Well, I do." He's not gonna be meta and be like, "Oh, okay. Well, let you're wrong. Let's." Talk Talk about Man of Steel. Well, that's why it's a dumb line. I, just like I don't know what you expected. How you expected me to react to that dialogue? It's terrible. If uh, I would have seen that trailer for the first time, I would have laughed out of my seat. Okay, all right. But it was made better by punches a guy in the chest. I, I, I don't remember <laughs> Superman going around fucking snapping people's necks and killing a bunch of people in in the Man of Steel movie. All right. I remember him snapping Zod's neck. 
And, uh, and yeah, it, all the other deaths are indirect when he's throwing cars at gas stations and all that kind of shit. Okay. All right, Jake. Yeah, he's got he just Superman's a murderer just going around murdering people in the ta- in the city, just going around killing people. So many fucking people. Ah, I, don't, I don't want to talk about Man of Steel anymore. I'm done. Ah. I don't I, I don't I, I just yeah. Ah. I'm, this episode is terrible. Paul's just sitting back. He's like, I ain't gonna say shit right now. <laughs> I'm fucking. Yep. <laughs> I, st- I, I I love Man of Steel. I don't give. I, I I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't think Superman. I wasn't even trying to hate on Man of Steel. It's just like that line is supposed to be like the oh shit, this guy's so badass line, but it just it basically makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like how is Black? Adam's supposed to be a fucking anti-hero when they all are. I don't know. <laughs> <I'm done>. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's wrap. Paul, what, what's going on on Apple to Oranges, the podcast that I cannot find anywhere? It's yeah, we're we're doing uh, we're finishing up Pachinko. We got our after party uh finale all up and yeah and just real quick uh r.i.p to fucking neil adams man yeah mm-hmm. fucking fantastic batman superman artist. superman fucking punched him and killed him right jake <laughs> did he i i wouldn't put it past that guy yeah i know he's going around killing everybody <laughs> the guy black adam punched into the sky and he disappeared and he died no, R.I.P. Black Adam starts bragging about how he kills all the fucking pencilers. Yeah, like I'm supposed to give a shit now after what Superman just did. I can't believe all the deaths in Suicide Squad. It's just well, they're villains. At least that. At least I, Jake. I know. I know. It was. It was a bad. It was. A, it was dumb. I shouldn't have said that. It was just a dumb thing for me to say. Um. Yeah, R.I.P. to Neil Adams. That sucks. That sucks, man. He was always at C2E2 every year. Yeah, he's super nice. He's like the quintessential Batman artist too, right? Like when you think of like oh, yeah. Batman, like he like he's the guy that drew Batman on every like children's material too. Like it's always Neil Adams Batman. Yeah. When you see him on like kids t-shirts and shit. Yeah. Uh, Paul, yeah, I can't find I can't find your podcast. Yeah, uh, we're we're working on it. It was just Shout Engine went under and it's been a bitch to try to get that feedback, so we just got to we're gonna put stuff out on social media with our new feed, so you just have to re- subscribe to a new feed. Yeah, I can't like every. Like, yeah, I'm looking at your feed now, and the last episode I'm seeing is from December 23rd of last yeah. year. And we got stuff. I mean, we got everything to that goes back to then. So it's just been a fucking hassle. God, maybe we should do that with our podcast, Jake. Make it so people can't find it. <laughs> Yeah, not a bad at idea. Least, at least this episode. This episode can fucking be a lost one. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit, I absolutely I, I deleted the file. Oh no. Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. What's this <laughs> trash can icon do? Oh I, shit. Fuck, I, I guess I punched it too high in the air and it disappeared <laughs> and died. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh my god, seriously, I just want to go back down memory lane on how shitty this episode really was, Jang. <laughs> Let's do a montage. I would like to actually Let's do like a, a six minute awkward silence montage. Yeah. Oh god. Oh yeah, here we go. Here, my favorite moment. Here's my favorite moment. Hold on, let me look that up. Alright, looking at it. This is me typing, Jake. This is me typing <laughs> typing to look this is me typing to look something up that maybe I fucking should have known or been prepared for before we started fucking recording. That's always I mean, fun. I, la- I laughed pretty hard at the end of that Nightwatch Google search. Yeah, that was fun. Nobody else does. It's not visual, though. Like, we're looking at the picture. Nobody else, nobody else is doing that shit. It's, maybe it's fun for us, Jake, but everybody else, this episode is garbage. Well, you should have Googled it while you were listening. I get the SSU is going to be more successful than this particular episode that we just recorded. Promise Sadly, you. Sadly, that's true. Yeah. Nobody's going to be talking about this one. Episode 422 is, yeah, no one's going to be talking about this one. It's the Madam Web of podcast. <laughs> it's the Morbius of podcasting. <laughs> oh, my God. Top to bottom, this episode was garbage. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge it. Top to bottom. From the very top to the very end. Absolute crap. Paul, what was your least favorite part of this podcast? <laughs> Anytime I fucking talked. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Actually, when I, when I was looking at fucking Not the Onions. <laughs> Paul, I thought that Jake, was a high moment. Actually. No, no, Jake. It's not a high moment. The episode, <laughs> the episode is so bad that Paul is like, I am refusing to listen to whatever the fuck these no, two fucking... No, 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 listen. Let me finish. Let me finish. Paul's like, I am done listening to both of these two chuckle fucks talk about whatever the fuck they're talking about. I'm going to go to this other thing that Brian mentioned moments ago that sounds way more interesting than whatever the fuck he's talking about right now. I'm bouncing out. I'm going to not the onion. And then it's like, I try to get Paul's attention and like, it's all almost like trying to pull paul back from like like you're in a dream right now like you don't want to be woken up and i'm trying to pull you back into our ssu talk and you're like i'm not having it brian i'm i'm totally invested in this not the onion story that's a that's very telling jake of how bad this episode is that one of our guests will fall down a rabbit hole of something else that i suggested and not be engaged in the actual conversation that we're having that's how shitty this episode was you are not wrong how bad does an episode have to be when you lose a guest to just aside, don't apologize. This is on us. We we should be apologizing to you that you had to seek out other. I could have mentioned anything, Jake. I could have mentioned anything. It didn't have to be not the onion. I could have been like, oh my god, they. Uh, did you see that uh, three years ago they released the uh, recipe for Dole Whip online? Paul could have been like, Paul would have been looking up the Dole Whip recipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Brian. I didn't realize you were talking about El Muerto right now. I've been looking. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the ingredients on how to make Dole Whip. I need to get heavy whipping cream. Damn it. <laughs> oh, so pi- pineapple. That's all it is, is pineapple juice and Cool Whip? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. 
<laughs> it's bad, man. It's a bad one, dude. <laughs> oh, no. Man, those last five minutes were pretty classic. It's just not me. Enough, it's me. Enough, it's just me pissing and moaning <laughs> about how bad the episode was. <laughs> like, seriously. And you had to fucking. You had to dig through all this fucking shit to get there, Jake. It's like the <laughs> end of Shawshank Redemption, where he's fucking, sl- you know, going through all the fucking human feces and shit, and he finally. <laughs> he- <laughs> <laughs> Andy Dufresne can finally fucking what it's raining and you get that amazing crane shot overhead and he's, he rips his shirt off and shit we had to fucking walk through fucking three miles of shit to get there though Jake <laughs> how do you how do I make the El Muerto conversation half of this shit I talked about I didn't even fucking care about <laughs> Here I am talking about El Muerto and Bad Bunny. I didn't even know this motherfucker was a person until a couple days ago. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Three people talking about El Muerto. None of us are familiar with the character. No, we don't even know the comic character. We don't even know the comic nothing. And here we are talking about it. How exciting do you expect that conversation to be? Like, I don't oh, know. not not very. I guarantee you there's another podcast out there where some fucking chucklehead had been he's familiar with El Muerto and he can fucking he's telling you all these facts and things and blah 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 and why to be excited or whatever and here we are we're fucking it was just, we're blind. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. We're bumping into each other and shit trying oh, to talk that, about that this. That guy, that guy's going to end up being the chucklehead by the time that shit comes out. I suppose. <laughs> Jokes on you, sucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the real heroes here. Oh my god. I and you know and like perfectly missed opportunity when we started talking about man thing. Nobody started talking about their man thing. Not one person mentioned their dick during that whole <laughs> that whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of the term "man thing" as a as a is a word for dick. It's oh, I always do. That's all I think about. Especially when it was giant size man thing. Giant size man thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giant size man thing. <laughs> do you think they were in on that joke when they made that title? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think so. Mm. <laughs> I, I think they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were probably like, oh, what can we get past the editor? <laughs> Giant-sized man thing. <laughs> we did it, boys. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Woo, this, is a, this is a rough one, fellas. It was a rough it's one. A- lit on this shit. I'm ready to pee. <laughs> It's a rough one. All right, we'll be uh, next week. Will be better. We're talking about Doctor Strange, <laughs> something we're all excited for. Jesus Christ, we're going to be talking about uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And then after that, remember, I'm taking a week off. Yeah, uh, if you, Paul, I, seriously, how can I find your podcast? Is there a way? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to be put up, man. All right. I'll, I'll- I'll send you the the link to the new feed because Apple's got to approve the new one before it can go up and all that bullshit. Man. Apple needs to hurry up. Apple should be sucking your dick right now instead of taking this long to get your podcast up. Well, I mean, lately all we've been doing is fucking just bad-mouthing their advertising games. Apple should be sucking your giant-sized man thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, Paul. Everybody, thank you, Paul. For seriously, Paul, thank you for putting up with this. Thank you for putting up with my antics tonight. <laughs> oh my God, Paul! And Paul, you requested to be on an episode, and this is what you got. It's been a while. Hey, this is still man. Nothing rather I'd be doing tonight than talking to you guys. Oh my God! See, I can think of a hundred different things that I would have rather have done tonight than no, what it's we been did. A while, man. It's been a while since I've been able to talk to you guys on a regular episode. I know. I'm uh, just fucking. I appreciate I it. it. I appreciate it. But man, you had to come in for this one. Oh my God! Yeah, That's I some real monkey paw shit. <laughs> I could. <laughs> I, I contributed to so so I'm I'm also at fault. <laughs> man. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's come back stronger next week and then uh, we're taking a week off, but uh thank God, Jake, we're putting a lid on it. Yes, thank you. See you next week, guys. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. Already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before And we don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good it, toss it, good it, taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's race it, can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carryover, counterculture, pushovers Pop culture Leftovers